Did you say what kind of animal was that attacked her? So you understand it's some type of animal attack. Statistically, there's been more animal attacks, mysterious deaths, people gone missing. In other news, local authorities remain perplexed by the animal attacks. What attacked her in the woods? An animal. What else could it have been? Welcome to It Was an Animal Attack, home of the Supernatural Drama Series. I'm Sandile. And I'm Fadzai. And today we are here to talk about Jeremy Gilbert. A.K.A. Little Gilbert, as Catherine Pierce calls him. Which is insane because he's like one of the tallest people in the show. (laughs) If not the tallest, like six foot two out the gate. Youngest character on the show, most of the show. It's wild, but we'll get into it. Um, before we get started, uh, we just have, as we sometimes do, a little due diligence to do. We just want to cover any notes and corrections from a prior episode. Our last episode, the Silas episode, not necessarily a correction, just a note that Galen Vaughn, the uh, Hunter, capital H, one of the five who pops up in season four, notably Scottish man, not played by a Scottish actor. His actor, I think his name is Jamie Bewley, is in fact English. Oh. Yeah, either he does a real good Scottish accent or the two of us should not be considered trustworthy on one. <laughs> um, could be both. <laughs> but I just thought I'd note that. I'm actually quite shocked by that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if you're from England, you're pretty close to Scotland. So maybe you've like met some Scottish people in your time and familiarized <laughs> yeah. yourself with the accent. The one time I've known an English actor to do like a pretty good Scottish accent is uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen in The Haunting of Bly Manor. It was. He's in Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor anthology series on netflix check it out if you haven't it's very good but he plays this guy called peter quint who's a scottish man and he i at least i believe a very very good scottish accent okay i'm used i'm used to seeing the reverse like with uh david tennant who is very scottish but mm. every role i've ever seen him in putting on an impeccable english accent yes, yes. But yeah, that's my one note from the last episode. I don't have any notes because I'm perfect in Beyonce. No, uh, I, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't pick up on anything. But you know what? At the end of every episode, we leave our email address and our Twitter. If you pick up any errors, you as the audience, feel free to let us know. Okay. So jumping straight into Jeremy Gilbert. Any starting thoughts on Jeremy? Is neither played by an actor who looks as young, nor is the character himself <laughs> as young as everyone treats him. He is one year <laughs> younger than the main group, but they act like he's in middle school and they're all teenagers. <laughs> You would think he was 10 years old, <laughs> the way they talk about him. Well, I mean, just to note of it, so Jeremy Gilbert for, I don't know why you'd be here if you've never heard that name or seen his face, but he's a main character for uh, most of the show, roughly six seasons of the eight seasons of the show. He's the younger brother of the main character, Elena Gilbert, and they're of the notable Gilbert family, founders of the town of Mystic Falls. Of the 12 original main characters, he's the only one who was... I mean, it means nothing to reference the book because they the show becomes so different from the book. But he's the only one who was sort of created for the show mm. compared to the book. Or rather drastically changed for the show, you could argue. Because in the books, Elena, in fact, has a four-year-old sister named Margaret. Which I suppose wouldn't be as exciting for a CW teen drama 
to follow. She really doesn't do much, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> fine. Is I'm fine with classifying Jeremy as just created for the show. He's not a Margaret gender bend in any stretch of the imagination. Except in the way that they treat him, because they, they baby him. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. It's the extension of, like, the infantilization that exists in the book because you're dealing with an actual child. It's like, damn, he is still the younger sibling of the main character who needs to be kept in the dark about everything that's going on. Which, I mean, he's not alone in that. Like, all of Elena's family, I I say that, there's only two of them. Uh, (laughs) Most of the main character's families uh, are typically kept in the dark. He's also part of the trio of main characters who after they get pulled into the supernatural of the show which up until that point they existed largely on the periphery of the main plot of the show they have like one good season and then nobody knows what to do with them and the other two of that trio are tyler lockwood and matt donovan because if you're if you're not elena's love interest or a villain then (laughs) what what are you as a man doing in this show why would a man be there (laughs) that's a trend that's gonna date this episode but anyways at the very least though jeremy is one of the two of that trio that they realize they need to send off once he sort of outlived his story but before we get to the end of it let's start at the beginning of it season one jeremy uh right at the beginning he's 15 going on 16 i believe at the start of the show that gets harder to believe like one season (laughs) over from this but alas (laughs) Jeremy, of course, being Elena's younger brother, they have just lost their parents, Miranda and Grayson Gilbert, notably died in an awful car crash, I think a few months before the show starts, and he is not taking it well. He has turned to alcohol and drugs to cope. He's even dealing drugs at this point, which like, I I think they say it's from medication that Elena and potentially him have been prescribed following the tragedy i think it was elena's pain meds because she was in the accident that killed their parents okay but like with with the frequency of that prescription fill i'm i'm worried that a doctor is not like at least mildly concerned <laughs> as to how quickly those pills are going maybe the doctor gave elena too much and like she had healed <laughs> and there was some left over so she was like well i'm not just gonna throw it away i'll just leave it in the cupboard and then jeremy was like score wasn't their dad a doctor <laughs> yes grayson was a doctor so probably one of grayson's colleagues was like listen here's a six month dose use wisely of course but i trust you it is in this sort of fugue space that he exists of like rebel without a cause he's dealing drugs he's doing drugs he's binge drinking and it's through this that he and vicky donovan matt's older sister who go back to the vicky episode if you want to hear all about vicky our first episode of the pod they begin we'll say a physical relationship over the summer because vicky of course is very much the girl from not the wrong side of the tracks but the wrong street on the right side of the tracks uh and she and her friends they love to party and so jeremy's kind of their connect and she's having fun with him meanwhile he's falling head over heels for her and so vicky calls it quits and by the time the school year has started she is dating tyler lockwood notable douche of his sister's year tyler's in their year right he's not like a year above them yeah he's in he's in elena and them's year so was vicky older than tyler yes by like a year vicky was a senior in season one 
and Jeremy was the rest a of them are juniors. Jeremy is a sophomore. Yeah, and everybody else was a junior. Yeah. Vicky always with the younger men. Interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Vicky was like, "I'm gonna mold you into the man I want you to be." Oh lord, it's, um, it's they're fine. all minors. They're it's all okay. in high school, so it's fine. <laughs> like, uh, a two-year gap isn't that bad when you're in high school. It's not. It's honestly not. So a lot of again, a lot of early season one, Jeremy spends in the cycle of I'm grieving my dead parents. I'm depressed because the girl I love won't give me the time of day. And I'm angry at the world because of, I guess, all of the above. Plus, I assume puberty. He is 15. Even though, again, like we said, he's already 6'2". So it's like, what are we talking about? But (laughs) Jeremy's existing connections at this point, I guess, are Elena, with whom the relationship is kind of tense right now. We get the sense that they used to be closer, but then after the accident, I mean, they've been fraught with grief. Everyone's dealing in their own way, but like Elena and their Aunt Jenna are just having a really hard time getting through to him. And so, of course, Aunt Jenna as well, same situation. And then, oddly, Tyler, who is, I guess, his rival for Vicky's affections. So they're constantly at loggerheads, possibly also because they're teenage boys, and I guess that's what teenage boys do at that age i don't know and that's about it later you kind of get the vibe and this is a thing with a lot of the characters uh, or the main characters in the show where because it's a small town there's an implication that everybody's known each other since they were like really young but there's people who just don't interact for earlier seasons and then at a later point when they do start interacting and we're trying to explore relationships at that point we state that oh i've known you since like you were in diapers or whatever expression they choose to use that day where it's like i don't think i've seen you guys speak once <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's a, a an interesting one i i say this because of matt right who assumedly being so close with elena must also be close with jeremy but they so rarely interact until like the middle of season two and then season three when he starts working at the grill. I guess you can know someone without being close to them. Like Bonnie, who gets closer to Jeremy also in season two. And then as the show progresses, she also mentions that she's known him his whole life. But I mean, you're not... They speak all of once in the first season. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sibling of your best friend. You probably saw him like in the background when you were like sleeping over at her house getting ready for all the school dances they always have, birthday parties and whatnot. It sucks there's not enough screen time to like see an ounce of that. You've just got to take it on faith and understanding. But fair enough. But yeah, Jeremy's got this vibe of like the troubled kid who has all this potential that he could use to become great if he just focused up and cleaned up his act. Most noticeably for this first arc of season one is his back and forth with Vicky that does eventually become something more substantial after Vicky dumps Tyler for reasons, again, you can find in the Vicky episode, and decides to give the two of them a shot. Shortly after that, though, Vicky is turned into a vampire. Jeremy's unaware of this, of course, because until like 14 episodes in, he's got no idea what's happening in terms of the supernatural. But Vicky is kind of losing control. She's struggling with her transition to a vampire. She breaks out from where she's supposed to be staying and she finds him at a Halloween party. While they're making out, she tries to feed on Jeremy. Elena comes in, whacks Vicky with a 2x4, which I know does a big first action moment for Elena. Like, she didn't hesitate in that scene, so appreciate it <laughs> um but then <laughs> vicky shoves her off and starts nibbling on her shoulder stefan comes in stakes vicky 
And Jeremy sees all this happen before his eyes and is just like stunned because this is his first brush with the supernatural in the show. And after that, when they get home, he's so traumatized by it. He can barely process what he's seen, let alone the fact that his first girlfriend, maybe true love, whatever you call it, has just died in front of him. And so Elena, hoping to protect him, she asks Stefan to compel away the memories of this. But of course, because Stefan's on an animal diet... He's not strong enough to make it stick. They've seen the evidence of that when he tried to compel Vicky after Damon attacked her while she was still human. And she was still getting odd flashes of those memories. So then they have to rely on Damon to do the job. So Damon compels the memories away and leaves Jeremy with the sense that Vicky has left town. And although he'll miss her, he knows that ultimately this is for the best. And that's kind of like a, a fixed point, I guess, in the end of the first arc of the season for Jeremy. Yeah. Or at least that kind of early era where he's just like really struggling and really going through it on his own outside of the main plot. But like a lot of times in this show, that was a semicolon where they were hoping for a full stop. Uh, (laughs) Something about forgetting Vicky Donovan, a 2000s dude com classic, uh, kind of gives Jeremy this new drive. I think after Vicky's death and the compulsion thing, he's like off substances, right? We don't really see him like yeah. drinking or abusing drugs in that point. He he becomes a good boy. I, I'm not entirely sure why that is now that, now that you mention it. Maybe he was using Vicky to process his parents' death. So once he was able to let go of her, he was able to start to move on from them. Yeah, that's that's kind of the line I was writing in my head too, because I was like, not to discount his feelings for Vicky, because he was very clearly, you know, enamored with her and into her, but like, it does seem like she was this focus point that when she was compelled away from his memory... And he seems to be like now in a settled place that has all moved aside as well. All the coping mechanisms, all the like self-destructive tendencies that he had as as trying to deal with all this trauma kind of get settled as well. But also he's back into his art, which is a big thing about him that I sometimes forget. And also the show sometimes only remembers when it's important to the plot. I mean, hey, at least Jeremy remains an artist. Like, it comes up in later seasons. <laughs> Did you know that Tyler was also an artist? But it, it does not <laughs> yes! come up after he, after he becomes friends with Caroline. It just stops being a thing. It comes up in season two when Jeremy and Tyler specifically are starting to, like, get on the same page finally. And they're like, yeah, you also used to draw. And it's like, what? <laughs> Tyler Lockwood? Okay. Sure, Tyler Lockwood an artist and he's been like doodling wolves because i think either he had just triggered his curse or he was starting to figure out that something was going on with his uncle yes after that like it's never referenced again never again that's a fair point jeremy is far more often than tyler got a sketchbook in his hand he's also getting really good at english assignments I think history assignments, something. What Alaric was teaching? History, I guess. Alaric was teaching history, yes. So (laughs) it would have to be history assignments. But yes, around this time is when Alaric Saltzman, the new history teacher at school, shows up and immediately begins to take a shine to Jeremy. I think he says something to the effect of like, he was a Jeremy when he was younger. So there's this sort of instant 
me take you under my wing a little bit. At a time when Jeremy's finally willing to absorb it, Rick shows up and is like provoking him to put in effort. He affirms him and rewards his efforts. He becomes this like older male presence in his life in a very small way for sure. But like after his parents' death, it's like, hey, this is something that maybe he's been needing. And other than Rick, he also meets... The wily Anna Chu. <laughs> <laughs> Our queen. Our queen Anna, who is equally as interested in Jeremy, but seemingly with more sinister intentions. Again, go back to the Anna episode for the full context, because that was a lot of fun to delve through. But Jeremy and Anna meet at a library while he's researching... I believe the topic of vampires. Jeremy's done this history assignment about Mystic Falls and the mysterious deaths that have gone on going back however many decades. Also, at this point, Alaric has pushed him to it a little bit because he's trying to get a look at the Gilbert Journals. Roll credits. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy and Elena's ancestor, John Gilbert, the elder, kept these journals of the supernatural in Mystic Falls, and they're this big historical thing. And also, Alaric is on his own mission, so when he learns that Jeremy has used this as a source, he's curious to get his hands on it. Anna, who assisted him with this assignment, is also very interested in this journal but that's because she is a 500 year old vampire trying to release her mother from a magical tube anna spends a lot of time trying to get in jeremy's good graces he's absolutely not having it do we think his resistance to Anna's advances are because in some small way he was holding on to this love for Vicky even though they kind of compelled that out of him? I guess they compelled his attachment to her and his reliance on her away. But in his mind, he was probably still thinking, you know, one day she might come back. I still love her. I just know that it's for the best right now that... I let her go do whatever it is she's off doing. Because he is just completely stonewalling Anna's efforts to <laughs> flirt with him, I guess, or or try and befriend him. They do sort of have a back and forth going, but once she's got what she needs from him, she kind of starts to disappear. Even though when we see from her perspective, she is a little bit enamored by Jeremy. <sighs> I forget what's the point when Jeremy starts anew searching for vampires. I think it's because after he does the paper, Anna comes back and is like, so what's next from here? Because she's presented this idea that like she's this homeschooled girl who's hyperfixated on vampire history and she thinks it's kind of real what's happened. Whereas he thinks it's a metaphor for like whatever demons the people of Mystic Falls were facing at the time. And I guess because of Anna's intensity in this, and assumedly because when she maybe loses a cool for a second, she gets the vampire face and then looks away. And Jeremy's like, what happened? <laughs> um, that's that what sort of starts to jog in his head of like, maybe something more is going on here. I think it's also because when Damon compelled Jeremy's memories of Vicky's death, and her vampirism mm. away. He didn't compel away the memories of Matt and Jeremy talking about Vicky mentioning a vampire attacking her when she was still human. So he still he still had that in the back of his mind. With that and then now this from Anna and this paper that I'm doing. One plus one equals three. 
is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so he starts getting real deep into the vampire thing. He starts going on online chat rooms and speaking with other people who are only about half as interested in vampires as he is. A lot of them are kind of into it for the vibe, I guess. He's asking questions about how do you kill a vampire? Are all vampires evil? How do you become a vampire? All these sorts of questions. And most people are responding to him in a kind of trolling, joking way. <laughs> yes, the and... one that I always remember <laughs> is when he asks, how do you kill a vampire? Someone's like, the blood of Paula Abdul. And I was like, no, you <laughs> leave her alone. What did she do to you? Uh, uh, leave Paula out of this. I don't know any pop culture references about Paula Abdul outside of her name. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's one person on that chat room who responds with a genuine answer as to how to kill a vampire. And so at this point, it's clear that he at least suspects that Anna is a vampire. I mean, again, we've, we've mentioned this before, but she comes over to his home. He's trying to provoke her. She's trying to stay cool about it. But eventually she slips and shows a vampire face when he cuts himself and shows his blood. She succumbs to the urges and drinks from him. And it is like the first intimate moment between the two of them. Because at this point, again, they're kind of friends, but not really. They've played pool one time. Outside of the time they spent doing this assignment that they were... And then she about. she showed up at his school dance uninvited. <laughs> That's true. He was serving punch at the school dance and she shows up. Even in this situation, she's just kind of showed up at his house. I assume he called her because he's trying to test his theory. But yeah, he provokes her into revealing herself and she drinks from him. And then she runs off when Aunt Jenna shows up. And... <sighs> Just in the mindset of Jeremy, it's like this this vibe of courting the darkness, of, of inviting danger into your day-to-day. Like, obviously, we learn later that he's trying to become a vampire so that he can go off and search for Vicky. But, like, there's also this weird through line that goes even to the end of the first season where, like, he has a tendency to try and throw himself into the danger and throw himself into the macabre and the unknown. And I just find that very... I don't know. It's I guess it makes sense for, like, a 15-year-old kind of loner, hoodie, headphones kind of kid. He's not goth, necessarily, but he's kind of in that similar pipeline they refer to him as emo a lot and i'm like yeah well, not aesthetically but <laughs> not aesthetically at all he looks like a very preppy white kid from the suburbs so i don't know about that but <laughs> i guess emo in the sense of very moody and very antisocial. he has no friends and he <laughs> he wears dark clothes and he's often in a bad mood he's emo. But I mean, you know who among us <laughs> who among us god especially at that age once Anna's secret is revealed, uh, she comes back to find him and they, I guess, find their way to kind of an equilibrium in in their relationship. It becomes, I want to say a little bit romantic, but Jeremy, at th- again, at this point is playing her. And she's still, is, is, is she still playing him at this point or has has her mother been released? Her mother's been released at this point because she, she brought him to the tomb. But then Stefan intercepted, and so Stefan, Jeremy, and Ben McKittrick were outside, and then she feeds Elena to Pearl. But Jeremy knows not, nothing about that. He's, of course, been assumedly compelled of whatever little he saw of what happened. 
which I think is next to nothing. I think he was with Anna, and then Ben knocks him out without him realizing, and then he's out until the end of the episode. <laughs> a common occurrence on this show, where like a simple blow to the head just makes someone lose consciousness. But it is TV, I guess. Yeah, for more than a minute, which is like the maximum you could lose consciousness without significant brain damage. It's just it's especially funny in the Vampire Diaries because all of the undead and immortal characters can get their necks snapped. And then regenerate from that. So that's kind of their equivalent of being knocked out. But then the humans are still occasionally knocked out. Until <laughs> one particular human really does get a brain bleed from that. Which leads to a whole lot of other stuff. Oh, who was that? Elena! She gets a brain bleed? What? Yeah, she gets right near the end of season three. That's why she has Damon's blood Oh, yeah, that's the reason why. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I can't remember why that would have been important. So Mary, the three of vampire blood. Yes, you're right. Later on, when the storm blows through town in the fateful 17th episode, I think it's called Let the Right One In, Vicky's body is found and Jeremy is devastated because he believed her to be out of town and gone. So I'm sure at this point he's questioning his memories and now knowing that vampires are real. I think it's then that he, because he now mistrusts Elena, because Elena has maintained the story of Vicky leaving town. So if Vicky was dead, why would she say that? And then... He goes into a room and reads a diary and learns about what she had Damon do. Uh, and at that point, they're on the outs. I think also by this point, he's already told Anna that he wants to become a vampire, which she doesn't fully understand his reasons for. And he's sort of implying that it's because I like you and you're a vampire <laughs> and I want to be a vampire with you. And then um, as we as we stated in the Anna episode, uh, once Vicky's corpse is found and Anna happens to show up and see how devastated Jeremy is at hearing that his quote-unquote friend is now dead. She puts two and two together and she's like, oh, you were using me to go be off with someone else forever. It's my favorite line of yours from the Anna episode. You go, you use me to be with another woman. <laughs> it's a it's a recurring favorite theme in the show. It, they, they were like prototype Silas and Amara and Ketsia. Oh, that's such... Oh, I love that we finally discussed Silas, Amara, and Ketsia now to like really draw the threads because it is that. After this... I guess Uncle John shows up. I never like to discuss Uncle John, but he's pretty relevant when it comes to Jeremy. So yeah. I guess we'll <laughs> talk about him. He's the devil on Jeremy's shoulder versus Alaric being the angel. Exactly. There's such a... So, okay. Uncle John shows up in like episode 18. Uncle John Gilbert is Grace and Gilbert, their father's brother. Uh, younger brother, I believe. I think both the siblings who are still alive are the younger siblings of their parents. Yeah. Nobody likes him. It's very clear. He shows up and immediately the mood sours. Everyone's pissed. <laughs> I would love to know the backstory for why Elena and Jeremy don't like him. Because Jenna, it's like, he's her ex. So on top of whatever other traits he has. I think it's it's that thing where, you know how kids are, where adults think that kids don't know what's happening, but they can almost empathically pick up on the vibes amongst the adults. Uh, so I think yeah. there is a vibe that... Nobody other than, like, Grayson really liked John because he was a snivelly little shit. Oh, you know what also it was? It's that he's in town, supposedly, because Jenna is trying to sell that office that belonged to Grayson. Oh, yeah, As part of that trust that's in Elena and Jeremy's name that they'll get when they're 18. And John's come back to block that. So already the vibes are answered. So we have to assume since their death, it's been just, like, bad water between them and John who honestly just hasn't been around following their parents' death. 
all stuff that isn't really important what matters is that he sucks and no one likes him jeremy's kind of neutral on him as compared to elena and jenna yes that's true which is why john gets an in with him yeah because there is a later scene where john is well he's he's trying to pump jeremy for information Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he jeremy himself starts to be like this is the most you've ever said to me in one (laughs) sitting why are you asking so many questions john says no i'm just making conversation you're the only person yeah, who likes me? It's listen. I will never be sad for John Gilbert, but I, you know, I mean, don't do bad shit, and then people will like you. I don't know, John. I'm not here to rehabilitate you. You're dead. Uh, so John kind of hangs around for this last like five episodes because he's here to like clean up the town of vampires, and so naturally, a lot of interactions he's having with Jeremy is to one suss out if he's involved with the vampire stuff because he knows elena is and two to make sure that his allegiances are like anti-vampire and that he knows what a danger and a threat and a blight they are in this town and in the world even though john himself is very much working with a vampire that he's in love with and will later on be working with more the hypocrisy but i digress especially because because these vampires are not clever enough to change their names over the centuries i don't know why they don't do this <laughs> if they're all gonna stay in the same one horse town in virginia but they don't change their names like at least we already have one doppelganger you should all be pretending to be doppelgangers of yourselves you know everyone knows elena looks just like Catherine. Just be like, yeah, my ancient Stefan. Would it have killed Stefan to be like, hi, I'm Stephen. I don't know, just... <laughs> like, because I think as soon as Jeremy mentions to John that he has this friend named Anna, and then John is like, hmm, Anna? And later on learns that her mother's name is Pearl. He's like, oh, these are absolutely the two vampires that my ancestor wrote about. No, absolutely. It is interesting you bring up the Rick and John thing because there's a mirror of the two with regards to Jenna because him being Jenna's ex, but also brother-in-law and then Rick being Jenna's new love interest. There's like this weird rivalry that honestly john's instigating rick seems real chill in most respects during the show um i think john just finds him suspicious because he seems in the mix and he's wearing a gilbert ring and also because he was married to john's first love yes yes because rick was married to isabel whom john is at present working with and was in love with as a child and now but yeah there's a lot that happens towards the end with regards to a bunch of tomb vampires that have been released into mystic falls and that need to be i guess dealt with john has roped the town council into this plan where they're going to use an old gilbert device that releases a sonic emission that incapacitates the vampires then they're going to round them up stake them burn them in a building at this point anna has sort of come back around to jeremy after being betrayed by him or rather he finds her at a dance and tries to speak to her she's not having it they hash things out and they're like yeah i guess we have both been using each other so maybe we're okay and so they start to maybe pick things up again and then john kills pearl anna's mother anna is distraught of course her only family who she came back to town a century and a half later to try and free she comes to jeremy in the night crying and at some point later she tells him that well one i'm pretty sure your uncle is the one who killed my mom and two 
I'm getting the hell out of Dodge, but I want you to come with me. Here's a vial of my blood. You can turn yourself into a vampire and we can live together forever. And it's like, at this point, you know, Vicky's been found dead, which was, as we said, Jeremy's like one motivation to become a vampire, even though he does very clearly like Anna now. They're very much in it. They're together. He does not seem keen on the idea of becoming a vampire. But she leaves the vial of blood with him and goes off. By the time the finale rolls around and the plan is being enacted by the town council, Anna is snatched by the deputies of the police force in town that have been brought in to assist. And John, of course, finishes the job, kills the daughter in the same way he did the mother. An insane aspect of the Vampire Diaries wiki as it exists on the internet is often fans will like state things as if they're fact when it's really just one person's opinion. Right. But one of the things that is written about John's murder of... Anna is that this person, whoever wrote this entry, is like, oh, he murders her either because, you know, he despises her because she is involved with his nephew, or to spare her the pain of dying in the fire, he stakes her first. And I'm like, this man did not care that much. It's definitely the first one. The man who looked at her with derision and said, oh, Anna, like it was a mosquito on his arm, and then immediately (laughs) staked her? Yeah, he cared about her well-being and her pain as she died. Take her out of the room if you don't want her to die in a fire. You know? What? He was definitely like, I want the satisfaction of knowing that I killed you myself. I ended your bloodline. Insane. No, honestly, those wikis, and it's always different people, and they're always nuts. I don't (laughs) understand it. Every time you you get to a wiki page, you start reading it, and you're like, what are you talking about? What is the spin you're pulling? Especially with the Vampire Diaries, there just seems to be a lot of people willing to forgive Vampire Diaries characters, either because later on they are written as being slightly better people, or because they're played by hot actors and people want to be able to crush on them without feeling guilty. Yeah, that's that's really what it is of like, I, I hate the thing of one, I think, you know, for as much as resources like wikis are excellent because they're free resources and they're community open source. It becomes frustrating when people are working them who don't have like at least an ounce of journalistic integrity. Where it's like, <laughs> we're here to put in the facts. You can't be putting an emotional spin on this information that people are going to be referencing for things they want to do in future. And then two, if you're going to be a fan of a reprehensible character, why are you trying to soften them? Isn't the whole fun of it that they're awful? Isn't that like the joy of supporting like a really bad person in fiction? I think that with these bad characters, maybe not necessarily John, but definitely with people like Klaus and others Damon Damon especially yes it's that because the writers sort of try to dip their toe in the oh this character has good qualities in them because now they're on the show for a long time and we can see some fans like them so let's humanize them which would be fine it's fine to have bad guys who have humanity in them but then it becomes this thing where fans will latch onto those few instances of humanity and then they'll treat the character like they're Prince Zuko. Like, oh no, you never did anything that bad and every bad thing you did, it's because, you know, now we see, Fire Lotos, I abused you and that's why you're this way. And it's like, no... Zuko did not sexually assault people. Zuko did not torture his siblings. Zuko did not murder the loved ones of his own family members. This is not the same thing. 
I will even go as far to say Zuko being the model for a redemption arc, right? Well and good. Zuko still did some bad things. Yes, he did. I, I never want to discount the bad that Zuko did. But yes, Zuko was not at a point where it's like we can't consider him as someone who has done the work to become an ally. And the important thing about Zuko is that the work he does is separate of the people he hurt. It is not incumbent on the people he hurts to, one, educate him on why you shouldn't be bad, because that seems insane. Yes. Two, it's not incumbent on them to forgive him. And they don't all forgive him immediately. It takes time, which is something that a lot of writers, I guess, just don't understand or just forego because, listen, we've got to make these exciting pairings for this teen drama. Oh, and how. And how. In the in the mystic falls of it all, it would be the equivalent of Zuko being the person who personally murdered Katara's mother, and then he's just <laughs> forgiven, and he's brought into the team. That's how it works in Vampire Diaries. And him and Katara start dating. <laughs> <laughs> so, where someone comes and informs Jeremy that Anna's dead, he is like... Listen, I figured as much the moment they took her away. Because he's there when the deputies take her away. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess they let him sleep because, you know, it's been a long day. A number of people are dead. It's all very down and depressing. And he goes, well, I've got this vial of blood still from Anna. I've got this bottle of sleeping pills. I've got to stop feeling all this pain somehow. I've just found out Vicky was dead weeks ago. My girlfriend just died now. It seems like everything around me is falling apart. So I'll just become a vampire and turn off my humanity. I think it might actually have been Anna who told him that. And then later on, I think he asks Damon and Damon confirms that, yes, this is something that is done. And I think I think he asks Damon if it works or if it's effective. And Damon gives some answer that's really rooted in his own problems, not in Jeremy's. But he's like, well, I've lost everything. Might as well just not have any feelings. This is why they call him the emo boy. Yeah, yeah. It's tough because... So he downs the vampire blood, he downs the sleeping pills, and then he goes to sleep. And you take away all the supernatural stuff, you take away all the vampire stuff. This is a suicide attempt. And I think it's... I don't know, I want to give that the weight it deserves, especially considering, like, the age he is and the kind of character and personality he is that like this narratively like it's the thing that makes the most sense when you like strip away all the fantastical about it of like yeah this sucks this man is this man he's 15 this kid has uh had his parents die over the summer it's a lot to deal with and again at that age that's where we leave him at the end of season one with the sort of uncertainty of will he die will he turn and yeah, we pick right up from it in season two, where we find out that, well, it's in a bit of confusion because at this point, all the stuff with Catherine and John is happening. Catherine has come in pretending to be Elena. She's chopped John's hand off. He's going to hospital because <laughs> he's bleeding out. It's all real crazy. And then after the title card, or just before the title card, Elena realizes that like Catherine might have gone to Jeremy. She checks on Jeremy. He's out like a light called Stefan to come check on him and then when we cut back to him after the title guard he's awake Stefan looks him over and sees that he hasn't turned he gives him like a slap or two and tells him to wake up and says to to not try this shit again because Anna's blood is probably metabolized in his body now if he tries to kill himself he will just die he will not turn into a vampire which we we previously discussed how we didn't quite 
understand how the mechanics of that worked because we we don't have another instance where we see how vampire blood affects medication or drugs or even just like ordinary poison because i guess that's what an od technically is it's you it's you essentially poisoning yourself so we, we never get another instance where it's like oh does does vampire blood heal poison the way that it heals like cuts and bruises and broken bones <laughs> So the thing that Stefan says in this episode, which I don't remember, again, season two, my blind spot, I don't remember any dialogue. He says he didn't take enough sleeping pills to kill him. So that is the aspect that's important about this, like, overdose. He didn't take enough pills to overdose. So he never got to the point of death. Oh, okay. So he just he just took a nap, essentially. He just took what would have been a really long nap. But it was shortened by the fact that the vampire blood was healing the effects. I of guess, the pills. yeah, and I and I guess whatever whatever negative effects there would have been from a failed overdose were healed by the vampire blood. Exactly so. Okay. So Devin stays with him for a bit while Elena goes and checks on, I assume, John, who's, again, fingers have been chopped off, so he's in hospital. In the words of Kim Kardashian, it's what she deserves. <laughs> John Gilbert, <laughs> I'm like, this is hours after you staked Anna, who you knew your nephew was in love True. with. I, I don't feel bad. <laughs> Not even a little bit. And also Caroline's been attacked, I think, and is in hospital. I can't remember. She was in a car accident because the device affected Tyler, who was driving. Yes. And so she's the only one who's been severely injured. She's in hospital. So there's a lot going on. But after John is, like, cleared to leave the hospital, I think Stefan compels him to, like, leave town forever, essentially, and never come back because he's done a lot of awful stuff. And we're tired of him. I don't think he compels him. I don't think he could compel him. He threatens him. him. He he force feeds John his blood and then says, I will kill you and turn you into a vampire if you don't leave. And watch you hate yourself. Yes, yes, yes. And so John has no choice but to leave. He's got his sling. He's got his bag. He's like, I'm on my way out. But like on his way out, he gives Jeremy the Gilbert ring which, if worn by a human mortal person, lets you come back from supernatural death. If you're killed by a supernatural person, or if you die for supernatural reasons, you can come back. So yeah, that's like the last interaction I think he has with John before John disappears for like most of the season. I think they have a discussion about the fact that the ring that John gives him is Grayson Gilbert's ring. It's Jeremy's father's ring. Jeremy asks why, if he had this ring, did he still die in the car accident? And that's when John explains that if you die by normal, natural means, then the ring can't do anything. At least if the death is caused by a human being. Which, I mean, is it's, it's insane to think that if a vampire had crashed the car, would the Gilbert ring have resurrected the person? I think it doesn't work by it only considers action. Yeah, whenever whenever someone's wearing the ring, it always seems to be a, a direct thing. Curious, curious questions. We can revisit it when we do an Alaric episode. Right. So post John leaving, post I mean suicide attempt, but trying to become a vampire attempt, Jeremy becomes honestly a little lost. Spends a lot of time just trying to like Oh, I can't remember. I tried to go back and find it, but I couldn't. When is the moment that Damon kills him? Damon kills him, I think, quite close to the beginning of season two. It's because he's got the ring by that yeah. point. John has given him the ring. Yeah. So it's got to be like episode two, episode three. He's pissed off by something Elena said, and then he just snaps Jeremy's neck. Yes. But then Jeremy comes back because of the ring. Because Damon did not know that Jeremy had the ring. He just went for him. 
so he after this like starts to provoke Damon essentially I think there's a an incident at a carnival or some sort of town fair that's happening isn't there always <laughs> there's always something going on in Mystic Falls Damon approaches him I guess to try and like it didn't even feel like he was trying to smooth anything over it felt like he was trying to like you know when someone's messed up and then they show up and they try to like joke with you to try and act like everything's normal after the fact that's what Damon does there's no hint of apology there's no hint of remorse he just shows up and he's like ah nice to see you alive and it's like what <laughs> okay dude <laughs> oh Damon Jeremy says to to Damon that, you know, pretty old to be showing up to a high school event, threatens essentially to expose to everyone that Damon's actually a vampire as just like a, a way to kind of assert his own space, I guess, to which Damon steamrolls right over that and grabs him and, and says, essentially, just because you have that ring doesn't mean you're tough shit. I could easily remove that and then kill you and then you'd be dead. That's Damon. So I don't know what he was expecting. I mean, it's, it's not untrue. It's basically what Catherine almost did to John. No, for sure. It's just like, I would hope if you're trying to get back in Elena's good graces, this isn't the way to like get to it. Damon knows what universe he's in. He knows that every sin is forgivable when you're in Mystic Falls. (laughs) (laughs) True. The people in Mystic Falls are good Christian people. They know that you you will always be forgiven as long as you are truly sorry. the Lord. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, either in this episode or the next episode, there's another incident where Jeremy shows up with a stake, prepared to kill Damon, I guess. But then he's decided that it's not going to fix anything. And there is this sense, right, of like in this action of trying to poke at Damon or trying to like attempt to threaten him whatever way he can. He's trying to regain some sort of agency over himself or over just like whatever's happening around him, even though there's not necessarily a way to like fix all that's gone wrong in his life but like i've gotta try and like get a hold of the things that are happening and try to be more active you know get a sense of control that's when he starts becoming more involved in also the werewolf storyline which is when he and damon start working together without elena's knowledge or approval i think that's actually when he shows up with the stake he is he like he tells damon that oh no i decided not to do it and damon makes some quip about him being bad at whittling and that the stake wouldn't have gone through anyway that's when they start conspiring to figure out what's going on with uncle mason because by then damon has already suspected that the Lockwoods have something going on. Yeah, at this point, Jeremy has been doing reconnaissance with Tyler. Tyler, who, in speaking with his Uncle Mason that's just shown up in town, has learned that there's this curse that they have that runs down their family. They are untriggered werewolves by birth. And then if they ever kill somebody, even by accident, that will trigger the curse. And then they become a werewolf in the typical sense of You turn once every full moon, it's excruciating. But you do have a little bit more strength than people do in like the 29 out of the 30 days that you're not turning on the full moon. Uh, A little bit enhanced cheering. And smell. And your bite, I guess, is fatal to a vampire. The vampires of the show don't know anything about this because apparently they've never encountered a werewolf in their lives. So he learns that they are in fact werewolves. He learns that... He's looking for the moonstone for this sun and moon curse that is the driving plot of season two. And he learns about Wolvesbane and that it is toxic to werewolves and can incapacitate them the same way that Vervain does vampires. And he gives this all to Damon, who's his best friend all of a sudden, even though the man killed him like not three episodes ago. 
And Damon uses all of this to try and torture Mason and figure out what his plan is. And that's what leads them to Catherine, who is actually the big bad for this first arc of season two. So yeah, he really is sort of like a gopher for the Mystic Falls gang, with most of them not being aware. It's really just through Damon. It's like he's the new initiate of the group, and he has to do like a dozen different tasks if he wants to get into the fraternity. It's that kind <laughs> of thing. So a lot of it is just him doing work for Damon until there's this turning point in the season where he kind of now fully joins the fray. And it's when Catherine has kind of made her presence more overtly known. And she's made this weird ultimatum to like control Stefan and Elena, essentially. She's declared that the two of them need to call it quits and never see each other. Or she's going to start killing her loved ones. I guess because she's still in love with Stefan. She always is. She's always in love with Stefan. Catherine had a main plot that season, but she was like, but also I want you to stop dating my man. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here to get my mans back. That was my deal since 1864. Now this new bitch comes along. She looks just (laughs) like me. She thinks she's trying to do something, but she ain't. But yes, they have outwardly decided to abide by this but in secret are still meeting up they're essentially trying to fool Catherine. this works for a little bit but of course it's Catherine. eventually she does find out and she retaliates by attacking aunt jenna she compels the woman to stab herself grievously with a kitchen knife which thankfully she survives afterwards she's rushed to the hospital they manage to get her in time Elena is beside herself. She says to Jeremy, this is her fault. They should have just listened. Catherine has won. She and Stefan are like, she goes to Stefan and breaks up with him actually officially because she's like, we need to break up for real, for real, because I don't want anyone else to get hurt because of me. Stefan cries. It's all very sad. So she says to Jeremy, listen, she's won. There's nothing we can do. Jeremy's like, it's going to be okay. And Elena's like, no, it's not. And Jeremy's like, she's going to pay Elena. I don't know how, but she's going to pay. I think that's the moment where it turns of like, as much as he's been trying to like step further and further into the supernatural goings on, this is when it becomes real for him because there has been a like direct attack on his family. And he sort of goes, well, shit, okay, we've got to close ranks. We've got a um, running out of military expressions. (laughs) We've got a we've got a show force. I don't know, but he he decides it's time to mean business, which I think is very again for the first season where for most of it he doesn't know what's happening and he's largely kind of flailing. This is where he starts like getting very focused and very sharp about whatever's going on in the main plot, which is nice. The night where they at least at first, beat Catherine, which looking back is pretty early on in season two. Yeah. But it's that night where he first starts to look at Bonnie with, like, new eyes. Because when when the whole plan is going down to, like, try and finally kill Catherine by tricking her with the Moonstone and whatnot, he and Bonnie are, like, together for that plan. And it's it's then where he starts, like, thinking, oh, yeah, she's, she's kind of cool. I think at one point he asks her... <laughs> He asks her, do you want to dance while we wait? And Bonnie's ah! like, no, with a laugh. <laughs> she's like, no. And then he looks he looks dejected and she's like, I mean, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is the episode where the, the Bonnie Jeremy starts to develop and it's like, oh, okay, interesting. And for a second, you're like, this is a bit weird, right? He's Elena's baby brother. But like you said, he's like a year younger than them. 
maximum. So it's really not strange at all. It's just the way they've been talking about him. Looking back, it's funny because I'm like, Jeremy, didn't you lose your second girlfriend like just a f- like two weeks ago? <laughs> And now you're already making googly eyes at someone else. You move on really fast, dude. He's nothing if not consistent. (laughs) (laughs) I have said things about the Jeremy Barney connection in the past. And I will say things in the future. But I think, one, this is the healthiest start to a relationship that he has had. Yes. Two, this is... A lot cuter than I remember it being. I don't know. I thought it was very uh, sweet the Thank way they start you. to like <laughs> the way they start to flirt with each other a little bit. Is like okay, I got a foot kicking a little bit, but it it's also interesting that like from that point onwards, it coincides that like because a lot of their scenes are together, he is now kind of Bonnie's witchy assistant. <laughs> It's that it's that meme of I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. A mutual of ours used to post it all the time on Twitter. But it's this witch with like a, like a classical witch with a top hat, and she's wearing this like slutty outfit, and she's drawn a pentagram on the ground, and there's this knight in like armor, but like his helmet is off, and he's like lying there smiling, and it's like a witch and her boyfriend who lets him do spells on him. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen they've this become meme. that meme essentially <laughs> i'll send it to you later but like it'll click when you see it but also what we want to bring up i mean so honestly from here on out i mean just in general jeremy very rarely has storylines he's very much a therefore character he's a character that is there for the things that are happening and he's either assisting or is supporting like what someone else is doing which is perfectly great but as him and Barney are starting to develop at this point, in this episode that you mentioned where they are entrapping Catherine, after that is when Luca Martin shows up. Oh, <laughs> yes, he does. Just as they're starting to vibe, just as they're starting to develop, and like Barney's starting to get over the, the whole thing of, you know, he's my best friend's little brother, it would be weird, and Caroline is like, listen, man, I'm a vampire, you're a witch, things are already weird in this town, just go for it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, it's at the end of that first, that episode where they, they beat Catherine and they, they lock her in the tomb, where as they're leaving the dance, Jeremy says to Bonnie, oh, uh, can I give you a ride home? And then Bonnie's like, when did you get your learner's permit? And he's like, I'm not a, little I'm not kid, a kid anymore. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that year difference seems much bigger when you're 16, 17. I guess. They, they also would have had like a whole year where they were in high school and he was still in middle school, so. Right. Yeah, small town. They all went to the same bloody school. <laughs> now I'm wondering, where is where is Mystic Falls Elementary? <laughs> <laughs> Where are the little vampire slayers in training? I need to know. <laughs> but um, yes, Luca Martin shows up. He well and truly in the middle of a Jeremy Barney conversation walks into the scene and it's the first we've seen of him. And he's this new student. He's just transferred. Him and his dad have just moved to town. Jonah. Jonah? Jonas Martin. Jonas. Professorial type glasses. Very academia. He wears like long sweaters. <laughs> They're very cool. Um, I think I think I remember liking them. I think I remember not necessarily caring about Luca, but I did like Jonas Martin. The moment we meet, or rather a little bit after we meet Luca, he hints to Barney in secret from other people 
that he is also a magic user in the same way that Bonnie is. And they begin to connect in a way that Bonnie has not been able to with her usual friends. And there's a parallel of this that I think is probably unintentional when you think oh, of the Vampire Diaries writers. <laughs> but it works so well because a thing about Luca and his father is that they're black, right? Up until this point, all the witches have been black. They later change that in season three when they introduce Esther and her bloodline. Well, actually, season two with uh, with Maddox. Who's Maddox now? Klaus's warlock. He shows up afterwards. Okay, so it starts with him, not Esther. But when Luca shows up and reveals this to her, and there's this... Even watching the scene, it feels like there's this bubble of connection and intimacy and protection from the outside of like, I see you, I know you, I understand you. Within a day of knowing each other, that can only happen with kinfolk, right? That can only happen when you're a black person in a predominantly white place and you run into another black person, you have that moment of like, oh, okay, okay, we're here. We see each other, we get each other, in a way that I don't think she could with her existing friends. And they're in the South. Especially in the South! The racial element of it is not explicit, but it it does come through in this aspect of nobody else understands my witchcraft, and here's this witch who rolls into town who understands me and I can speak to him. He's not an ancestor of mine who's dead. He's not a ghost who's like, honestly, a lot of the times really pissy with me. He's a real person in front of me who knows my struggle and knows my blood and my history and my ancestry. And I think that's a very interesting thing about Bonnie and Luca. And of course it drives a wedge between... Uh, Jeremy and Bonnie. Not drives a wedge, but it causes some jealousy. It causes some reverberations through what was very quickly becoming like a situation ship. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luca and Jonas are in town because they're working for Klaus, right? Uh, no, Not they're working Klaus. for Elijah. They were going to help Elijah. I guess they were trying to find the witchy hotspot that Bonnie eventually ends up finding. So I guess. I guess their plan was for one of one or both of them to channel that witchy hotspot in order to deliver Klaus to the brink of death so that Elijah could kill him. And they were aligned with Elijah because they believed Klaus had kidnapped their uh, Greta and was forcing Greta to work for him. But then we find out that, nah, she was in it all, all Yeah, myself. Greta, his sister, yes, who was just serving Klaus of her own volition. But... None of the main characters know this because at present they've just encountered Elijah and he has been an antagonist. So they think, okay, Luca and Jonas are working for the bad guy. And so there is a number of times where Bonnie's doing magic where she'll just channel Luca, which is a thing he taught her how to do. Uh, Because he gave her this necklace, she will use it to channel his energy when she needs to do something big that's like too powerful for her to do on her own. And he will start to fall over and be weak and collapse. And it's it's kind of rough when he's been nothing but kind to her. There is an aspect of this triangle, right? If you can call it that, with Bonnie, Luca, and Jeremy. I've brought it up to friends, whatever. When it comes to this age range of story. But, like, you see it in Twilight. You see it in... What is it? To all the boys I've loved before. You see it in The Kissing Booth, I think it might have been, where there will be a main character, 
sometimes POC, sometimes not, and a white male love interest. So your Edward, your... I don't remember the names of them from the kissing booth or to all the boys. Is it Peter Kavinsky? I've only watched to all the boys once, so I I couldn't help you. Damn it. Okay, I'm going to say Peter Kavinsky and hope that it's correct. And then it's kissing booth. His name was something... It's a name you would say before you, you grab a very large man and pull them towards you and say, look at me, this isn't you. But I can't remember what his <laughs> name is. <laughs> but that tall-ass white boy in Kissing Booth. Jacob Elordi. I know his real name. Yes. So the, the white male love interest. And then after like a, a significant chunk of exploring their love story, there will be a POC secondary love interest who comes in to threaten the relationship. And... On paper, the POC love interest will just be objectively better. They're usually kind of more thoughtful. They have like maybe a hometown connection or they're like an old childhood friend, like that sort of aspect. And that will cause like trouble in the main pairing for like a bit. And then they'll want you to think that, ooh, maybe it could go this way. But you know it'll never go that way because you know that the white man at the end of the day must be the true love and must be the soulmate. So... (laughs) In all those instances, Bella ends up with Edward. Kissing Booth Girlie ends up with the tall dude. Uh, Lara Jean? Is that yes. her name? In- <laughs> yes, she ends up name. with Noah Centineo. So that's kind of the vibe I got a little bit from this trio. But Jeremy's, he's not so bad. So it's okay. But it is odd that like we get this character who's like the first honestly important black character outside of Bonnie. And he's just being used left and right and dies very quickly. I think he dies within like three episodes. He dies so suddenly. And because season two and specifically this part of season two was where I began my Vampire Diaries watch. I was not used to their anybody can die rule. A rule that they break repeatedly for main characters. (laughs) But when it comes to supporting characters, oh my gosh. (laughs) You better count your stars. Uh, Luca has gone pretty quick, I think, because were they doing a spell and it used him up? I can't remember how Luca dies. I think Bonnie actually only channels Luca without consent one time. She channels him one time. The second time, she knocks him out and uses a spell to find out what they've been doing yes, for Elijah. Yes. Interestingly, at that point, when when she channels him the first time without him knowing, it's around this time that Bonnie started to realize that, oh, there there is a limit to my magic. If I use too much, it can hurt me or it can drain me. And Jeremy starts to get concerned about her because he's, like, crushing on her heavily at this point. And he's <laughs> he's already lost two girlfriends, so he's like, I'm not going to go down the road. Oh, we can't go three for three. I think he even <laughs> says to Bonnie at one point, he's like, well, like once, once they're an established couple, he's like, you know I don't have much luck in the girlfriend department. Yeah, it does. Honestly, at that point, you start perceiving a pattern of like, is it me? Am I cursed? All my girlfriends <laughs> die. Also, the survivor's guilt of that. It's like, listen, man, I need to make sure you are safe and good. So when Luca dies, it's because by then, the Mystic Falls gang have daggered Elijah and he is rotting away in the Gilbert. Oh, oh, before we get to that, when while Catherine is still in the tomb, because Luca's death happens when Catherine has now managed to get out. Catherine is still in the tomb because I think the the spell is still up. They need the moonstone, which they stupidly left the moonstone in there with her. There was no need to do that. But at this point, they now know that, oh, we actually need this thing, so we have to go get it. Bonnie casts a spell where she uses some ash 
I think, made from burning a picture of, of Catherine, which if you throw it on Catherine, it'll incapacitate her for like just a few seconds. So Jeremy stupidly steals some of the ash, not all of it, but some of it, and goes off to get the moonstone himself. He's like, oh, I don't want you to get hurt, so let me go myself. Yes. My human-ass self with no powers <laughs> and no enhanced strength, I'm gonna go take on Catherine. 500-year-old vampire. He, he shows up. Talks to Catherine for a bit, throws the ash on her, genuinely shocking her. He goes into the tomb and, I mean, he doesn't really look like a person who is trying to be quick. Like, he takes his sweet time looking for that stone. (laughs) (laughs) And even when he finds it, he doesn't exactly hurry out the door. So naturally, Catherine gets up and she grabs him, but not before he manages to throw the stone out of the the tomb. So now it's at least the moonstone is out there, but now he's stuck with Catherine, who's feeding off him because she's been starving for, like, probably... A week or so and now she's got a snack and once uh bonnie and the rest of the gang show up Catherine even points out that oh jeremy's got this cool gilbert ring so i can literally feed on him until he dies and he'll keep coming back for more it's excellent <laughs> so that's when bonnie tries to bring down the seal again like she did with her grams in season one and she channels luca to do that and even then she's not able to i think she states she's like she's like i'm not strong enough even with help uh and eventually stefan is able to vamp speed in grab jeremy throw him out but then he's stuck in there i remember watching the episodes out of order and i started on an episode where stefan was in a tube with Catherine. i was like how the hell did this happen then i went back and it's like oh yeah stefan was obviously sacrificing himself for someone (laughs) jeremy and stefan are a bad combo because stefan will always sacrifice sacrifice himself for you and jeremy will always put himself in harm's way <laughs> maybe that's why he's always hanging out with damon rather than stefan that was a curious bit I, I i kind of was trying to understand in season two of like why does he gravitate so much towards damon when damon has not done nothing but try to kill him multiple times i think that aspect of it is that stefan unlike damon stefan does what elena asks and elena has been very clear that i don't want my baby brother involved in this stuff so Jeremy knows that if I take this to Stefan, he will shut me down or he will tell Elena, whereas Damon will let me do whatever I want because he doesn't listen to Elena. He does not care what will happen to me and he doesn't listen to Elena. Post Stefan getting him out of the tomb, he is then on Elena watch, I remember, because Bonnie and Jeremy trap Elena in her own house so that she doesn't try to go to the tomb to get Stefan out or to like, I forget what she was going to do so that she can get Stefan out. So Bonnie and traps her in her house with magic and Jeremy is assigned to watch her. I think she was, she she had taken the moonstone and was going to go give it to someone. I don't know whether it was Elijah or the Martins. There's this like cute scene where she's like sulking. She's sulking on the couch because she can't leave. And he like, he does this very like sibling thing, like annoying younger sibling thing of like, like he he lies, he he jumps on the couch and like lies on her, even though he can tell that she's irritated (laughs) and she like shoves him off onto the floor. I just, I like that. It was, it was cute. It was like, oh yeah, you really are I love that moment. I love it so much. We've talked about this of like, I I really like the Elena and Jeremy connection. Like they feel like siblings in these very like key moments. And that is one of them. I thought that was really cute and sweet. At the time where Bonnie has invited Luca to the Mystic Girl to like, I mean, he's very clearly into her and wants to like connect in a way. And she's like, hmm, I can use him. (laughs) I think at this point, um, Jonas has just intervened when elena's friends were being attacked uh i think the werewolves like jules and all her people oh yes they were they they were attacking stefan damon and caroline 
Yes, and so Jonas shows up, uses magic to knock them all out, and says, I made a deal with Elijah to make sure Elena's unharmed, I consider it upheld, because Elena needs her protectors. And so, because of that, Barney's like, well, your dad did us a solid, so I guess we're cool. Meanwhile, she's knocking him out. <laughs> Caroline and Jeremy take him. They go back to her house. They're laying out candles and they're doing a spell to basically pull his subconscious forth so that he'll be suggestible to questions so he can answer what they're doing. And then they explain why they're working with Elijah. So after this, Barney and Jeremy, because Caroline takes Luca back to the Mystic Grill and Barney and Jeremy are left in the house and Barney essentially starts to gush about like this whole situation because Caroline has just prompted her to be like, just go for it. What do you have to lose? And that's when she's like, overnight, you turned into this hot guy who's really sweet. And and then Jeremy says, you think I'm hot? (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) And then they kiss. Um, and that is their first kiss, and that's kind of just like the ship has set sail, which I thought was really sweet. Yes, but by that point, Catherine is free from the tomb because Elijah has been daggered, so the compulsion is worn off. And the Martins want to try and undagger Elijah because despite Bonnie saying, hey, I know that you're just trying to get you know your daughter slash sister back, um, we will help you guys. They're like, nope, nope. The only way to do this is Elijah. The only person we trust is Elijah. So Luca astral projects into the basement to try and undagger the, the basement of the Salvatore house oh. to try and undagger Elijah. And then Damon, not even really understanding who it is or what's going on, he just takes a, a flamethrower to this oh, invisible person and. I, I was surprised. I didn't think the magic would work like this, but hey, it's it's Vampire Diaries. They can make their own rules. By by taking the flamethrower to Luca's astral form, it sets his physical body on fire, and he burns to death in front of his father. Oh, I remember now. That is such an awful way to go. Especially, like, you see it all the time with vampires, but that's because that's how vampires work. To see a person burn to death feels awful. Luca tragically dies. Barney is a little bit upset by this. Not necessarily because she cared about Luca in a in like a big way, but because he was like a tie to her her magic and her ancestry and a person again who understood her in a way that these others will not. And because at this point her Grams is dead and her Grams died honestly at such an early point that like yeah. she's basically self-taught in all this magic stuff. So it sucks. Jeremy's like, eh, I don't really care as much. Uh, <laughs> he was working for the bad guys, so I'm glad he's dead. Which is like, all right, Jeremy. Jeremy is like, we dodged that bullet. <laughs> He's like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if this love triangle is enough to wish death upon people. Damn, dude. <laughs> you didn't trust in your own abilities? Oh, man. A lot happens that's not necessarily relevant to Jeremy. But essentially, there's a plan now for Bonnie to channel this hotspot of 100 dead witches and use the magic to kill Klaus... And then at some point when they make a deal with Elijah to deliver him to the point of death so that Elijah can, like, deliver the killing blow. Yes. Jeremy's assisting Bonnie with all of this, largely in these latter episodes. He starts reading the grimoires that they've got because they've got her grimoire. They've got the Martin's grimoires. They're, like, finding a way. And she's like, if I channel all this magic, I can use it to kill Klaus. And Jeremy's like, hold on. I've been paying attention a little bit. I know... We're kind of 50-50 on how smart or how dumb I am in a given episode. (laughs) But you've said that if you use too much magic, 
it'll start to harm you. As as her witchy assistant, <laughs> um, <laughs> he is there when she act when she physically goes to the hotspot and takes the magic into herself. Damon is left outside because the witches don't want him in the building. Yeah, they start burning him through his daylight ring. It's really cool and I love it. Which which tracks because earlier in that season, after Caroline is made a vampire and Bonnie makes her a daylight ring and she's still being kind of icy towards Caroline <laughs> because she's like, oh, I don't like vampires. Yeah. She warns Caroline that the witch who spells the ring can also unspell it. So, you know, stay out of trouble or I'll have to hurt you. So because Emily's ghost is also there with all of these dead witches. Emily unspelling from beyond the veil. Yes. What a bad bitch. <laughs> the witch spirits are like audibly speaking to Bonnie, except Jeremy can't hear exactly what they're saying. So later on, he asks her, oh, what what were the witch spirits trying to, to tell you in there? Because I, I, could, I could tell that something was going on. And she's like, no, 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 they, they, they were just warning me that if I use too much of the magic, it could kill me. And then that's when he asks, how much magic would it take to kill an original? And then she says, all of it. Which, again, with Jeremy's pattern of dead girlfriends and um, his insistence to not let it happen again, this then means... Jeremy's no longer reliable in keeping this hush-hush because Bonnie's asked him not to tell anybody because, of course, people would intervene with the plan. And right now, Bonnie's very focused on killing Klaus, whatever it takes, so that Elena is safe. Jeremy ends up telling Stefan? Yes, it's Stefan, because Bonnie and Damon are dancing at this time. Oh, the 60s dance. Yes, it's the 60s dance. And Damon and Bonnie are dancing, so Jeremy... And Elena, I think, are standing off to the side of the dance and talking. They're like, what's going on over there? And Jeremy's like, eh. Jeremy seems like upset because he has this knowledge now. And he leaves the dance. And Stefan, who has just cut in with Caroline and Matt, he was informing Caroline that Klaus is here. Because at this point, Klaus has been uh, passengered into Alaric's body. But they don't know it's Alaric. They just know it could be anybody. So they're like, be on the lookout for anything weird happening. And Karen's line's like, you know I'm the spy for the group. I'll tuck my hair and I'll make sure I've got my ear to the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> then Stefan sees Jeremy leaving and goes out and asks him what's going on. And Jeremy doesn't want to say anything because Barney has sworn him to secrecy. But eventually does say that the spell that she's going to do to kill Klaus is going to kill her. Information gets around. Elena ends up knowing. Damon ends up knowing. I think Damon knew at this point. But again, because why does Damon care? He was like, go ahead, girl. <laughs> and then <laughs> Klaus reveals himself in Alaric's body. Barney, they manage to entrap him because there's a fight between Alaric and Damon and someone else. And Barney shows up, juiced up with the 100 Witches magic, ready to go. And she and Alaric face off. She seems to be overpowering him, but it is very visibly taking a toll outside the closed doors elena's there she's slamming on the door it's this really serene moment as bonnie looks back smiling like i want you to know that the time we've shared she doesn't say anything this is what i'm i'm reading from her facial expression and then as she does one last like magic pulse her body's like racked up and she arches and then she falls to the ground, assumedly dead. For like the next five minutes of the episode, we all think she's dead. It was moving like she's dead. Once Klaus is gone, Damon's like, actually, no, I tricked everyone and I gave you irreparable emotional damage. Bonnie's perfectly fine. Well, I mean, not, not irreparable. I mean, you know, she's, she's actually lost people. <laughs> <laughs> For a good, like hour elena's like my best friend is dead she's like oh shit oh no who's gonna tell jeremy oh my god it's very sad but it's fine the plan works 
Bonnie spirited away to a cave somewhere. She's in the dead witch's house with Jeremy. Yes, yes, where she channeled the hotspot. Jeremy's there to keep her company and uh, Elena skypes in to like just make sure and see with her own eyes that she's still alive. And so now Klaus thinks she's dead. She was just doing a faux spell to throw him off. And now when the moment comes to it, she will be ready to take him down with the actual magic. And so, yeah, Jeremy just keeps her company until that point. I think the next notable thing is that when the time comes for the sun and moon curse, quote unquote, which is actually the hybrid curse to be broken, Jenna gets snatched, right? Which, you know, obviously that's very important. But like, they're not really focusing a lot on Jeremy at that point. It's mostly on Elena. When Alaric finds out and then shows up to tell the rest of the group who don't know at that point, he does say something like, "I, I need to talk to Jeremy. Like he pulls Jeremy aside to tell him what's happened to Jenna. And then... At this point, I think because they're like, well, Elena's going to be taken. There's really nothing we can do at this point. The plan was always to let Klaus take Elena and then, you know, he had to do the ritual which involved her dying. And then as he's at his most vulnerable, they come in with the magic and boom. But Jeremy is the one who reads the Gilbert journals, I believe, and finds a spell. Either the Gilbert journals or one of the many grimoires that are just lying around his home at this point. But, like, he finds the spell that he then takes to John, who confirms that, yes, I have heard a story about this kind of magic. It's the spell that allows you to link your life force with another person. Some woman did it way back when, when her child was stillborn. And it allowed the child to, like, be revived. And so they're like, great, we've got a spell. Elena can die in Klaus's plan to break the hybrid curse. And then because she'll be linked to John, because John volunteers to be linked for this, then she'll just come back afterwards. So the spell is done by Maddox. No, Maddox is dead. At Maddox point. is dead, yes. Greta performs the ritual. She and Maddox, like, the last thing they do together is they kidnap Tyler and Caroline from outside the hospital where he's gone to visit his mom. And then Maddox is watching over Tyler and Caroline when Damon comes to rescue them. And then Damon kills Maddox. So Greta's doing the uh, spell to break the hybrid curse, kill the vampire, kill the werewolf, kill the doppelganger. Spell goes off without a hitch. Elena comes back to life. And it's only later after those events have been resolved where Jeremy goes to John and is like, yeah, what happened with the spell that they did with that mom and child that you mentioned do you know if there were like any other details to it and john is like yeah i do and then starts to walk off (laughs) (laughs) as they're all like waiting for elena to wake up right he's like walking off and goes outside for a bit then elena wakes up and she's like oh i'm i'm good i'm fine everything's all right and john very quietly dies on the patio (laughs) the least he could do quite frankly i don't know why i'm laughing it's not it's not a joyful moment it's actually a very touching sad scene despite it being john and so that's really the last family member that jeremy and elena have oh yes because jenna dies in the same episode there are jenna dies in the curse she is snatched and turned into a vampire to break this hybrid curse so she dies elena sees her die but jeremy i believe is back at the house and then their Uncle John dies the same night to save Elena's life. And while there are varying opinions at the time on whether Elena will come back as a vampire because Damon force-fed her 
his blood, if the spell is even going to work to bring her back afterwards with uh, with John's like Hail Mary. Elena herself seems to be perfectly willing to die, as always, to save her friends. Yeah, she'd said it from pretty early on. Yeah, when she when she sees Jenna there and realizes that Jenna is going to be the vampire sacrifice, her only concern is that she begs Klaus to let Jenna go because she's like, I don't want Jeremy to have no family left. Which, I'm like, but isn't John still... <laughs> <laughs> I love how she doesn't count John Because I'm like You're saying this because you think you might die So if you die That means John is still going to be alive yeah. <laughs> Elena was like He doesn't count It really is always even John <laughs> <laughs> He does not count in normal circumstances Oh shame But yeah In the finale Jeremy and Elena kind of um, they They do the joint funeral I guess And commiserate over the death of their last family which is just so so tragic i think that jeremy is the one who gives elena the letter that he left behind as well as the last remaining gilbert ring because there are two gilbert rings one was grayson's and one was john's john had given his to isabel isabel gave his to rick john demands it back during the course of the show so he had both rings and he gave Grayson's one to Jeremy. Yes. And so now with his death, he's giving his one to Elena. Because John is her biological father. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet. Surely we've said we've, it in the We've past said episode. it in, in other episodes, certainly. <laughs> I think um, in the aftermath of Jenna, Jenna's death, Alaric and Jeremy are once again these like... There's often parallels between the two of them and what they're going through with Alaric being this vampire hunter and Jeremy being like this Mm -hmm. budding apprentice who's being pulled into the supernatural and who, much like Alaric, also has bad luck in the girlfriend department because at (laughs) this point... Isabel! Alaric has had a wife who was presumed dead, turned out to be a vampire, then died as a vampire, and now he's lost Jenna. Whereas... And, and both of both of his love interests have died as vampires, uh, much like Jeremy, who had lost Vicky and Anna. And also, just with that with that particular scenario, Jeremy and Alaric feel very guilty because they weren't able to go to the sacrifice. And not that they would have been able to do anything, but obviously it's survivor's guilt. They feel responsible, in a way, for Jenna's death. Because Bonnie knocks Jeremy out with a spell in order to make him stay behind. And then she, like, spells the house so that Alaric can't leave, even though he is still conscious. <laughs> Oh, Bonnie. There is that aspect, too, because we've mentioned a number of times of, like, how Alaric is this, like, older masculine presence in his life. There is that aspect of that masculinity where they want to be these protectors and are failing at that in their own eyes, where it's like, even though rationally there's really very little you could have done to change the situation, but, like, that only makes it worse. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, most notably in that finale, beyond losing John and Jenna, Jeremy is at the Mystic Girl, honestly, just by pure chance. I think he's just there with Matt. Potentially, this is when he's trying to get the job. But Damon, at this point, has been bitten by a werewolf? Yes. Who, Tyler? Yeah, by Tyler. He was nipped by Tyler as Tyler was transforming. So Damon is dying of a werewolf bite. Very dangerous, very toxic, very fatal to vampires. 
uh, he has been slowly wasting away, and the cops are chasing after him. I think he may have attacked people in his rabid state. By that point, Liz now knows that they're all vampires because Matt has blabbed about Caroline and everything she knows. Yeah, so they're all after Damon, guns blazing. Damon zips into the Mystic Grill. The cops come in. I think he's trying to attack somebody in the Mystic Grills. Liz Forbes comes in with some deputies. They're like, stand down, Damon. And he's just like... Because he's all gross and weird. And then she shoots at Damon. And Damon, standing directly in front of Jeremy, zips out of the way. And the bullet hits Jeremy. And he dies. Damon was rabid, so I'm not going to blame him for not being aware that Jeremy was behind him. And you're free to make that decision. I mean, it's like we we had seen all these effects with Rose, like, a couple of episodes before, where we saw that Rose was so delirious and so out of it that she kept confusing Elena for Catherine and she was hallucinating about her time as a human with Trevor and she was eating people even though it seemed that that wasn't something she usually just did she didn't just go around just murdering innocent humans sure so I'm like I don't think Damon was in his right mind he just saw a weapon pointed at him and he vamp spit out of the way also this is a man who died from being shot in his human life so (laughs) maybe his mind was like whoop not again but yes Jeremy shot accidentally by Liz Forbes but you know a cab for real and he dies instantly <laughs> yeah yeah in a very rare form on the vampire diaries <laughs> yeah caroline tries to feed him her blood and it's like no this boy is not swallowing anything he's dead like his heart has stopped bonnie's like i know what i must do and she tells i think rick who's also now kind of here to pick up his body and then they take him to it must be that hotspot again because it was yeah cavernous. so they go back to the hotspot where she channeled the witches and she's like don't worry i'm gonna sort this out she's like i've got all this powerful magic i'm just gonna bring him back from the dead and she tries to and the spirits fight her they say please stop wasting our gifts on this 16 year old white boy from rural virginia why do you think we care about him she's like this is my true love my boyfriend I'm bringing him back. And they're like, all right, we'll just never speak to you again. And she's like, cool. And she brings Jeremy back to life using the immense force of her will and a shit ton of spiritual magic, which is a feat that should never be discounted. It's it's true. I think at the when, when, while she's casting the spell, because Rick is obviously with her, he's helped her bring the body there, as you said. She tells Rick that, oh no, the, the spirits are, are saying that there'll be consequences. So not that she is, not that it's impossible to do what she's asking, but that there will be consequences. And I think Alaric says something like, well, tell them to shut up. He's just a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, Alaric? You are allowed to say that because you are like 30-something and this is a 16-year-old. I'll let you have it. Only one who can call this boy a kid kid frankly (laughs) but yes bonnie with great power manages to bring jeremy back from the dead and it's all excellent and joyful the resolution of that is always strange to me because bonnie i guess is already just away (laughs) it's i know it's to set up what happens in this scene but she's like skyping him from somewhere and it's like if my loved one had died and i've just brought them back from the dead i don't think i'd want to be separate from them at least for that night you know but it seems like she's just I, maybe she's at home but it feels like she's on vacation somewhere no i think i think she is at her house <laughs> okay she's skyping with jeremy just like how does it feel like to be back uh, to be back from the dead it's like is this the same day why are you away from him? You need to make sure the sticks. You need to make sure he's all right. I don't know. She she does have a dad who exists 
off screen exclusively at that point. So maybe she did have to go home. She couldn't just be like, I'm sleeping over at my boyfriend's house because he died today and I brought him back. Counting down the days until we can talk about her dad in explicit terms because (laughs) much to say. Oh. Anyway, so they Skype call. It's really sweet. At that point, when they end the call, Rick is walking by the doorway because Rick has kind of been hanging around a little bit following the death of Jen and John because Elena and Jeremy don't have any guardians anymore. And so Rick, passing by the doorway, says to Jeremy that he's um, going to head off now because, you know, he's just going to get home, just making sure everyone's all right. And Jeremy's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's cool. I guess I'll see you later. And he looks really dejected. Because during the season, especially with, with Alaric and Jenna's romance developing, they've become closer and closer. Alaric has been coming over to their house a lot more. I think there's this really hilarious scene where Elena gets up in the middle of the night to go drink water. And then she hears a sound. And of course, it's middle of season two. There must be someone out to get her. She like gets ready to fight. And then she sees Rick come by with like a tray of food in his hands. And he's only in his underwear. And it's a really <laughs> hilarious scene. He's been around a lot. And so now he's like, I'm heading off. Jeremy's very clearly de- dejected. And Alaric clocks this. And he's like, eh, well, you know, I maybe I can stay for the night. And Jeremy immediately perks up. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, whatever. That's all right. <laughs> True bros, men's duty. You know, like like a real man, he's not going to say, thank you, this means so much to me because I'm in a very vulnerable <laughs> place right now. He's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Do, do what you want, Amari. It's right? 2011. <laughs> we haven't even dreamed of transcending toxic masculinity yet. <laughs> but Jeremy does thank him for everything that he's done for them. And Rick, oh, because, oh, I should have said earlier, because at the end of the call, Jeremy and Bonnie have, Jeremy's like, I don't know how I can thank you for this gift of life that you've given me. And Bonnie's like, don't worry, you can thank me tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And so Rick, as he's leaving and Jeremy's thanking him for everything he's done, Rick says, that's okay, you can thank me tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. (laughs) He's doing this really funny face and voice. And it sort of cements that like, okay, Alaric at least is going to stick around in these kids' life and just like make sure they're okay, which I think is lovely. I've said in the past, I consider him their dad. You've disagreed slightly on that fact and that's fine. Have I? I think I said Alaric is their dad. And then you said something to the contrary, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I was just feeling contrarian that day. <laughs> I certainly think of him as as their, as their father figure. He is closer to them and kinder to them than John ever was. Yeah, yeah. Their actual family. <laughs> Elena's actual dad. Yeah, and, and as you said, there's, there's that link of him having been in a romantic relationship with their last guardian, Jenna. And the fact that he was... Quite literally, the married to of Elena's Elena's mother. biological mom. He is legally, technically, her stepfather. If you think about it, well, maybe not legally. Maybe not legally she gave over the rights in adoption. <laughs> technically, he is Elena's stepfather, and therefore Jeremy's step uncle. I think it's perfectly great and good, and it works out. Found Speaking family of legality. I wonder how. I know Elena is actually no. She's not eighteen yet at I, this point. You know, She's she's not 18 yet. She only turns 18 at the beginning, beginning of season, season three. three. So I have to wonder when when Jenna dies and John dies and they legally don't have a guardian. What was the wh- plan? Why does nobody come to be like, okay, child services, We need, these are two teenagers. They're minors. We need to figure out what's happening here. Why was Matt perfectly allowed to live by himself for like two years? 
I guess because in Matt's case, everyone is like, oh, Kelly will be back in town eventually. Let's not hassle this poor family. Because the thing is, she she's known to pop in and out when she wants to. And it's specifically Matt in private who tells her, please go and don't come back. I'm better off without you. Right. So maybe everyone else, like Liz and Carol, are like, we don't want to get the authorities involved She'll come back. Let's, let's just leave this kid alone. That's fair. As opposed to Elaine and Jeremy, who very explicitly no longer have guardians. I know in some places, there's a law where if you're above 16, you can, as long as you can, there is a solid income for the household, you can then be appointed guardian. I don't know if this applies if you have dependents other than yourself or if it's just yourself. Because then there's also emancipation, right? Above yeah. a certain age, you can become emancipated and just live by yourself as like a a technical adult, even though you're a minor. So you, who knows Virginia law? I guess she and Jeremy are both over 16 at that point because he's 16 and she's 17. And like you said, it's a one-horse town. Like they've got all these other adults. Maybe they were all going to be like, you know what? It's all right. We, we trust them somewhat to be responsible. And if they need anything, we're present. It takes a village, as they say. It takes a village. At this point, they have like, what, four people's wills that they've probably been reading into. <laughs> so they probably got enough money at least until the end of high school. Frankly. And like a college fund tucked away somewhere. And we all know after 18, adults magically learn how to take care of themselves. <laughs> so they'll be good from then on. But now I'm wondering, you know, university being so expensive, like all over the world, what happened to Jenna's student bills? Because Jenna was doing a postgrad. She was in the middle of a postgrad when Surely she Surely they get cancelled in death. Oh, please. They don't pass on to a family member, do they? You think they love people that much? Yeah, that's fair. Why am I saying this like people are not perfectly happy extorting students? You, you know, know what? Fair enough. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, for, the, for those of you listening, if you if you guys know, <laughs> please let us know. If you're Virginian. If you're familiar with Virginia state law, <laughs> please let us know how it works. Bringing it back to the end of the finale. Jeremy, I can't remember if he hears a voice first or he sees it first. But this is when Jeremy starts to see Vicky who is dead, appearing from what they will later learn to be the other side. And then Anna as well showing up. And it's like, damn, what a way to end the second season with like, well, first, I guess Jeremy's a medium now. And two, just as this relationship of his is taking off with Bonnie and isn't like a really good place, we bring back both his dead girlfriends. Really crazy place to put him in at the end of season two. So season three. We open with Jeremy as, they don't really ever say it in the show, I think, at least in this season, but with Jeremy as a medium, he's able to perceive spirits that are on what we come to know as the other side. The way they describe it is that you don't just see them all the time, because, I mean, with all the supernatural beings that have died in town, that would be flooding through his vision. The way it works is that there needs to be a push from both sides. There needs to be a push from Jeremy as the medium to want to see a particular person. And that person on the other side needs to be pushing to want to communicate with him. So, naturally, with his dead girlfriends, Vicky and Anna, those are the people that he sees. For, like, the first arc of season three, it's a lot of build-up to... Esther, essentially. We've discussed this in the Esther episode. We talked about it in the Vicky and Anna episodes because, of course, they're the two who come back. Vicky is working with Esther on the other side to try and help her to re-manifest, essentially, and to keep Klaus, who is the big bad at the moment, from making more hybrids now that he's successfully broken the hybrid curse. 
Anna, who has spotted this from the other side, is trying to intercept and stop this from happening. Just out of the goodness of her heart, I, I guess. Or out of concern for Jeremy and his well-being as a resident of Mystic Falls. Jeremy is now working at the grill. So I guess a lot of his time is spent with Matt and he ropes Matt in on these kind of visions or like see sightings that he's been having of Vicky, like telling him that, listen, I was just brought back from the dead. I'm not fully sure what's happening, but like, I kind of want to understand this. And so him and Matt get drunk, I guess, and pull out some of Vicky's old stuff and try to hold like a seance. It's I'm I'm so curious as to like what they were going off of when they made this decision to like how are we gonna ex- ex- experiment or like investigate this? I guess Jeremy was already aware that something was going on with his ability to perhaps perceive these dead girlfriends. Because wasn't he also like googling stuff online? You know he 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 likes a good Google search. Jeremy he loves a forum that'll give him <laughs> questionable answers. So he, he probably <laughs> found something online that said, oh, you know, in order to contact a deceased loved one, you know, make a connection, find someone who knew them or something that mattered to them, and that's why he was doing this stuff. Well, whatever it is, it works because Vicky at least starts to manifest more tangibly and she frames what she's doing as a way for jeremy to help her sort of be able to interact with the world it would be like she was back and alive again there's really just kind of a terminal point there in vicky's communication with jeremy because the moment anna manages to get through to him when he's like lying down in bed one time i think he's like thinking of her for some reason and then she finally pops through and there's this huge hilarious scene of them like shouting at each other and anna's like i need you to tell me you can hear me and jeremy's like yeah i can hear you what the hell <laughs> and then she's like i've been trying to contact you for so long Beyond this, she gets across that, like, you cannot trust Vicky. She's working with some dark force on this other side. Whatever they're trying to do, it's bad vibes. We've spoken about this again in the Anna episode that, like, the moment he develops, like, a proper connection with Anna through the other side, Vicky and him, like, never interact again. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's a moment where she dramatically bursts through a window and slams some glass because ghosts be ghosting. And then that's it. It's just Jeremy and Anna from then. Vicky then goes over to Matt, her brother, to try and get him to help her to break out of the other side. Which, when you when you think about it, makes sense. Once Anna explains the mechanics of the other side and mediums, who I guess Jeremy isn't the only one. There must be others out there, or psychic witches, and how you need to have a this push and pull from both sides. Like you need to be pushing from your side, thinking about them, and they're on the other side, trying to manifest to you, or thinking about you, or being in your vicinity but veiled and then you're able to connect with them so i guess once jeremy sees anna and his heart decides yeah this is the girl that i still love i'm over what's her face there's no more connection for vicky to grab a hold of and pull herself through well granted there was some compulsion in the mix so bless vicky it's not entirely on you there was some magic in the mix but also you bring up mediums right I do think that a lot of what Anna says, and this comes across with like other things that she tells Jeremy about being on the other side and how all the stuff works, it seems to be her figuring it out in the year that she's been dead. But with the way Jeremy becomes a medium, you have to assume, as you said, that there must be others out there. But Jeremy's the only one we ever encounter, aside from Matt, who then technically becomes one, 
although it's far less, for some reason, effective when Matt does it. I guess maybe because Jeremy was brought back by magical means and Matt was brought back by mortal means, like literally he was CPR yeah. back to life. Maybe that's part of it. But it's an aspect that we explore so little. It's a plot device in the most literal sense of like, and, and throughout the season as well, we bring out Jeremy's medium powers when we need to speak to a ghost. It just sucks that like this really cool ability isn't delved into a bit more yeah they could have written some interesting stuff for jeremy going forward in terms of him being a medium yeah because the thing is the minute they no longer need to speak to any spirits jeremy has nothing to do for the season it's kind of sad that like now that bonnie with all this vicky and anna stuff Jeremy's keeping secret, by the way. He doesn't tell Bonnie about what's happening. Then at some point he does, and he makes a promise to not, like, speak to Anna again because it's very much emotional cheating. Like, let's, there's no way around it. And then I think Bonnie does a spell to, like, reveal veiled matter, and then Jeremy and Anna are able to touch each other, and then it becomes physical because now they're, like, kissing any opportunity they can get, and Jeremy and Bonnie are, like, fully dating. So once that comes to a head and Bonnie finds out that Jeremy's still being seeing Anna this whole time, Bonnie breaks it off. It's She doesn't explicitly say we have broken up, but there's this big moment of, like, I don't want to hear anything about what you've been doing with her. Do me the decency of leaving me alone right now because I don't want to deal with you. She's just had this emotional moment with her grams who's come through the veil. It's just like very clear that this is the ending of it. Beyond that, Bonnie and Jeremy are essentially no longer together. And because in the last season, Jeremy's whole thing was that he was Bonnie's assistant. He was there to help her with witchy stuff and that's how he was involved in the main plot. The minute they're broken up, Jeremy ceases to have something to do. And it would have been great, as you're saying, if they delved into this medium thing and made it a more central thing to him. You think of, like, what's that show with Melinda Gordon? What's her name? Jennifer Love Hewitt. It's a really good show. My family oh, uh, loved Ghost it Whisperer. Up. Ghost Whisperer. You think of Ghost Whisperer, you think of Medium, iconic uh, show with Patricia Arquette. You think of shows like that where it's like, it's the driving factor of the main character's plot. So surely we can find something for Jeremy to do that's like more important with these medium powers. And at that point, they hadn't defined psychics as being a subset of witches or a specialized kind of witch. So they could have even gone in that direction and made it like its own Where thing. Where he becomes a psychic yeah. rather than just a medium? Yeah, like like that medium like, is like an aspect of his psychicism. Because it's only because Bonnie initially believes she's a psychic and then learns that, oh no, actually I'm a witch. And it's only much later, I think, when Damon and Bonnie have been trapped because the other side has collapsed while they were there. And Stefan tells Elena at the beginning of the, of the following season that, oh, I spent the whole summer talking to every witch, every psychic, every shaman. No one knows how to get them back. And I'm like, it's interesting that you differentiate between witches, psychics, and shamans, where as far as we know, yeah, the latter two are like just witches by a different name who maybe do a specific type of magic. Like the Sun and Moon curse was meant to be a shaman like that that had made that curse. And it's like, so like, what? what is a shaman? What is a psychic? What is the difference? I just assume a witch, but one who's indigenous South American, indigenous North American. But even then, it's like we've recently learned that a lot of like indigenous tribes did not use the term shaman. So I don't know. In the originals, we, we meet a witch who specializes in like having visions. I think it's the final season. Yes, in the last season. I yeah. liked her. So that, that's why I was like, 
like I guess a psychic is just a specialized sort of witch, but definitely in the earlier seasons they hadn't explicitly said that. So it could have been cool to see Jeremy have his like own little arc where he discovers his power. Yeah. Oh, I I didn't want to get into it in the season two stuff but luca introduces himself and his father as warlock so it's like what's even that but like i think they yeah, that was just the gender term i guess which eventually yeah. the show the show lets fall away <laughs> but the thing is do they refer to maddox as a warlock or a witch because i feel like they refer to him as a witch they call maddox a witch i think how it happens the way warlock is used is that in the vampire diaries when luca and jonas show up and luca reveals to bonnie by levitating the salt at the table that he has magic she's like oh my gosh are you a witch and then he says the preferred term is warlock we prefer the term warlock so i i just saw it as like oh it's just he's just being gender specific and then later on in the vampire diaries i don't think the term warlock is ever used again even Never though watched. maddox is in the same season but in the originals there is a time when a when Haley is very pregnant and she's attacked <laughs> by some male witches and later on when she's speaking to someone I don't know whether it's Elijah or Klaus or whoever but they ask her oh who was it and she's like warlocks witches whatever uh, that's the last time the word warlock is said <laughs> but that's just Haley being Haley honestly especially early Haley that makes sense <laughs> I think it's I think it's a thing of like you know like within in Hollywood or like the film industry or whatever you can say actress but a lot of female actors just say actor. Yeah. But for what it's worth, every now and then they'll bring Jeremy out to do his medium thing. They kidnap him to find out where Michael is buried through talking to Anna. Later on, they bring him out to speak to Rose when they're trying to figure out which sideline they're descended from when they want to kill the originals off. Honestly, not much else Jeremy does in this season, but at some point, and this is like sort of a a crescendo in season three, at least for Elena, Jeremy has been, you know, training a little bit in like the hunter arts. Both of them have, Elena and Jeremy have been learning from Alaric, just like, you know, using weapons, a little bit of combat, that sort of thing. So he's been hanging out with Tyler a little bit, Tyler, who at this point is a hybrid side by Klaus. So they're talking about how him as a hybrid and all the other hybrids that Klaus has made at this point, how they differ from vampires. We cut away from that, and then when we see Jeremy again, he is standing in the middle of the road. (laughs) I think someone calls, it must be Klaus, calls Elena to basically make some sort of threat and then gets her to look outside. You see um, a car rushing up towards Jeremy. Rick sprints outside, pushes Jeremy out of the way. He takes the hit. Oh, and Jeremy Jeremy had left his ring inside, so they knew that there would be no coming back from any injury. Exactly, because, I mean, who knows if you've been compelled to stand in front of a car, where does the line draw of, like, did the driver hit you, know, you and kill you? These are, these are the answers that we need. Interesting stuff, but yeah. Rick takes the hit. He goes on his own. I think we discussed in the Esther episode of what happens to him with the ring that he's wearing. But Jeremy is fine but then they realize okay jeremy's been compelled and then potentially in the same episode when they're trying to get rick taken away by the ambulance klaus's hybrids show up to block them jeremy's not home at this point or he's gone out to like get something i'm not sure elena is the only one home and she's the one trying to get these guys to to take rick to the hospital but they're like ah no it's they compel the paramedics to be like no it's fine you can leave him be jeremy comes back shoots the hybrid in the doorway in the back 
he falls down, that's not gonna take him because they know that hybrids can't die by stake or by like wooden arrows or whatever they've been using for regular vampires. But Jeremy, who's gotten the skinny from Tyler about how hybrids work, goes into the kitchen, gets a meat cleaver and comes back and beheads this hybrid while he's lying on the ground. It's an oddly graphic scene for a show that's like not afraid of blood. I mean, you don't you don't see the decapitation. No, not at all. It's the vibe of it, right? They cut away, Elena gasps, the blood splashes into Jeremy's face and like onto Jeremy's clothes. Like for as little as they show, the effect of what they're trying to convey is very clear with this scene. Oh no, shock and horror, my little 16-year-old brother has been in these supernatural events and with this life that we now live, facing off against immortal creatures. He's now someone who now just has to chop a dude's head off without a second thought and then just move on. Does he do it in one swing or does he have to hack yes. at it? Oh wow, a lot of strength there. I don't imagine it's that easy to cut to through. To cut a head off! Bone and muscle and all that sinew yeah no it's a really impressive and this is pre what happens in season four so very impressive yeah but to elena this signals oh man i'm jeremy's only like legal guardian only blood family left and this is what i've gotten him into so she then speaks to I'm always like, was it Damon or Stefan? It's probably Damon. I think it is Damon. I think Stefan, Stefan's going through things at that point with the whole, oh, my emotions are Oh, yeah, Stefan's like, no humanity right now, yeah. He's like slowly clawing his way back to humanity. <laughs> this all happens before, before they then contact Rose, because by then he's already been sent away. So she tells Damon to compel Jeremy to go off to some family friends in Chicago. I think it's in Denver. Denver, Colorado. Who I guess exist now. I'm like, where have these people been when your guardians were <laughs> dropping like flies? But okay. It is weird that they're like, oh, family friends. So maybe you did have people you could stay with if all your guardians were dead. But it just means you'd have to move to Colorado. They send Jeremy off to Denver, Colorado to uh, live with these family friends. And I guess do night school i don't know i don't know if they're enrolling him at the school there it's the middle of the school yeah they have compulsion on their side so it's it's fine that's true so he disappears for like a good five or six episodes because again there's nothing for jeremy to do it's a good decision it's a very good decision they know when he's outlived his purpose for the time being at least and the only time that they acknowledge him again is when klaus is once again threatening somebody i believe He's sent Cole yes. to go and videotape Jeremy, I guess, and to prove that, like, we've got eyes on him. We don't know it's Cole because this is when uh, Klaus is trying to get Bonnie to do the unlinking spell, and he just shows Bonnie Jeremy on the phone that somebody's watching him. Jeremy with the dog that we never see again. <laughs> <laughs> Once that comes out, then Elena and Damon go to Denver to pick him up. Not necessarily for his safety, but because they need him to talk to Rose. And that's where we find out that he and Cole were friends. And I'm like, I don't know why Jeremy didn't find it suspicious that this presumably college-aged looking man mm. had British-sounding, little bit Australian. <laughs> like <laughs> This Englishman who was like in his early 20s befriended this 17-year-old. And he was like, yeah, that seems normal. Like, that didn't strike you as odd, Jer? Even even Damon says that. Damon is like, you didn't think it was weird that somebody wanted to be your friend? 
that, okay, listen, listen, I won't go that far, but it is very, listen, like I said, on the given episode, we decide how smart and how dumb Jeremy is, you know what, it tracks. I'm just saying, Jeremy, you're the same person who, after your first girlfriend died, the next person to flirt with you was secretly planning to feed you to her mom. <laughs> you should, you should, you should be cautious. But yeah, he speaks to Rose. They get a lead. Rose is like, you can go speak to this person to figure out how far back we go uh, in terms of our vampire bloodline. Then just he's stuck on this road trip with Damon and Elena. And frankly, you know what? I commiserate with Jeremy in this in multiple ways. One, because he has to be there while Delena is happening. And two, just (laughs) as like... Just being a third wheel to a couple, bar any other aspect of the situation. Leave alone it's his sister. Leave alone it's this guy that he honestly doesn't like. Mm. Like, even, I think he very vocally tells Elena, I don't know what your plan is here, but this guy sucks. There's nothing good about the situation for Jeremy. And then he's got to deal with Rose like rooting for damon from the other side yeah rose is on the other side like yeah they they really are a cucumber it's like rose why would you even care <laughs> what are you delena stand from the other side i especially despise that scene because it's the scene that the delena stands will always quote when it comes to defending why apparently stefan was the worst choice and damon was better for her and it's, it's like, like what does rose know about <sighs> any of these three people she spent like a couple weeks with them and then got bitten by a werewolf like a chump and died maybe she's also been spying on them from the other side i don't know creepy first of all <laughs> i don't think i trust you with any opinion but all right who's she spins some some shtick about oh uh, it's not just that elena's good for damon which obviously we all knew that was what the narrative was she can fix him but then she's like damon is also good for elena he challenges her he surprises her and i'm like i i feel like that's a generous interpretation of the text anyway the rose situation comes to an end again this storyline isn't about jeremy so he gets very little to do outside of voicing his disdain for this delena development after that, he's just kind of back in town now. He and Matt are the only humans of the group in the time when Esther traps the Mystic Falls gang in the school while she's trying to resurrect Evilaric as Vampilaric. Yeah, you <laughs> so, said it! <laughs> I can die happy. <laughs> <laughs> I give up at this point. I will succumb. But they head off with like crossbows and shit to like go and face Esther. They lose dismally. They end up getting again hammer bloodbended to point their weapons against each it's other. It's so cute. I think I think Jeremy has the crossbow because at this point he's like Hunter Junior. And then Matt has the gun because I mean that's just the more intelligent thing to bring. <laughs> When right. Esther makes them point their weapons at each other, I'm like, Matt, I don't know why you look so worried. You might survive this. Jeremy's going to get shot for the second time in less than a year. Jeremy's going to get scattered to the wind by the buckshot, please. Alaric uh, regains his composure and, and kills Esther, thereby saving them. And again, that's the be-all, end-all to Jeremy. I think him and Bonnie speak for like two seconds once he's back, but like... The vibes are kind of unclear. Oh yeah, before, when he gets compelled to go away, Bonnie is very against it. She's like, this is wrong. You've taken away this person's agency. It's not fair that you mm. you, you decide he's in trouble and then you send him away. And you get the sense that while she's definitely still angry at him for the whole cheating on her with a ghost thing, she's like, I still wanted you around for me to work through my feelings. I don't like the idea that you're just going to be gone. And you're going to be states away now before we even have a chance to talk about it. But, yeah. you know, Elena decided, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Tiny thing that happens with Evaloric is that in his Evaloric persona, he leaves a message for Jeremy saying that he wants he wants Jeremy to continue his work because he's got the other Gilbert oh. ring. I don't think Jeremy ever sees it. I think Jeremy's gone by then and other characters find it. I think it's Matt and Elena. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, that's creepy. In the finale, I think at this point they've desiccated Klaus. Yes. With magic. Elena's in danger for some reason. She has to get out of town. I think this is post desiccation. Elena and Matt had left town because while they were enacting the plan to take down Klaus, they wanted her to be out of harm's way. And it's Jeremy who's the one who drove this idea. He told Matt, get Elena out of Mystic Falls. Matt drugs Elena with her tea and then throws her in the car. Which is wrong of Matt, but in terms of Jeremy being the one who comes up with it, I'm like, she has made decisions about your mental state and your physical oh, location so many times. Twice minimum. That this is fair. Because <laughs> like, he tells Matt, he's like, I don't want my sister here in this town with all these vampires fighting over her. We're going to get her out of there. And I'm like, you know what, Jeremy? It, this is this is earned. She's done this to you at least twice. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. And so Matt is driving her away. And then I think they get the, the notification. And so they turn and Matt's doing this dramatic thing. Kind of hilarious Matt as Elena's ex-boyfriend going, okay, now which Salvatore do you want? Klaus was desiccated, but Vampalaric, the enhanced original was now after him and Rebecca. Damon, who didn't believe Klaus when Klaus said, you are descended from my sire line, so if I die, you die. Damon was trying to basically keep both of them alive. And he fails because obviously Vampalaric is stronger. So Vampalaric stakes Klaus and we believe Klaus has died. So that is the information that Matt then relays to Elena. He's like, Elena, Damon is in whatever city he and Rebecca had gone to to deal with Klaus's corpse. And Stefan is back in Mystic Falls. In the exact same distance in the opposite direction is Stefan. He counted. He checked that GPS and he <laughs> said, I'm going to stop dramatically at the midpoint, baby. Yeah, Ste- Stefan is, is in the other direction. You can choose which one to say goodbye. When Elena does choose Stefan and she calls Damon to tell him, she's like, it's not just Stefan. It's also Caroline and Tyler. Like, Yeah. My friends and family. <laughs> They'll also die. Uh, which I'm like, fair point. But Damon backs her into corner and he asks her, but if it was just me and Stefan, who would it be? And then echoing her doppelganger unknowingly, she's like, it, it's Stefan. I choose Stefan. Elena does head back. And yeah, I mean, as we know, Elena doesn't make it fully back into town. She goes over Wickery Bridge and Rebecca is there to run her and Matt off into the water. Stefan manages to get down in there. He tries to save Elena. Elena insists you have to save Matt. Elena does die, but as you said earlier, she had just had vampire blood put into a system by Dr. Meredith Fell to heal her brain bleeding after getting hit against the wall, I guess. So she comes back a vampire, which Jeremy does not know at the end of the season. And as as Elena is linked to Vampalaric, the end of her human life means that he dies. And in death, that evil persona seems to just evaporate completely because then Jeremy sees Alaric on the other side. And that's how Jeremy realizes that, oh, Elena must be dead because Alaric is in front of me right now saying, Jeremy, I want you to know that I'll always be here to watch over you 
and take care of you if you need anything. And it's like really sweet because it's like, oh, Alaric is back to himself and he's going to hang around, even though it's kind of creepy that you can't always see the ghosts that are supposedly around Yeah, you. it's like you can see him at least compared to other people, but very weird. <laughs> but then it's also like in that moment because they understand the whole life link thing. Jeremy is like, wait, if you're here, that means my sister has just died. Like the last <sighs> person I had is now gone. Both of them too. It's like Rick is dead. Elena is dead, but he is under the impression that Elena is human, and so he wouldn't be able to see her even if he wanted to, which is so depressing. Because we we still don't really know how doppelgangers work on the other side. Like we never, yeah, we never see a human doppelganger on the other side. But that is the end of season three for Jeremy with his sister and uncle slash father figure now dead. The uncle who stepped up. The uncle who stepped up. The history up. teacher who stepped up. Season 4 opens with, obviously, Elena becoming a vampire and dealing with her transition. Jeremy is upset by the fact that she's now a vampire, but, I mean, it's very clear that it wasn't her choice. It very much wasn't anyone's choice. It was purely accidental and a chance of, like, timing and luck. Bonnie, I guess, is trying to use magic... I'm not sure if it was trying or if just like floating the idea that like we can use magic to try and restore your humanity from the other side. I don't um, even so really know how the mechanics of that was supposed to work. It's just like she's like, Elena's in transition. She's neither dead nor alive. And I'm like, well, even a vampire is not really dead or alive if you're talking about their position on the other side. But she's like, I can go to the other side and bring back her soul. And I'm like, wait, what? What does that mean? <laughs> And she's like, I'm going to use dark magic to do it. So he was guess. already working on a cure for vampires. So. <laughs> <laughs> she preempted. She sensed it through the bloodline. She's like, I know this shit is possible. That's when I think uh, she, she she says, I can, I can use magic to stop my own heart, go into the other side as a ghost, find Elena and bring her back. And Jeremy's like, what kind of magic is going to let you die so that you can bring somebody else back to life? And she does she say dark magic? I think she just says that she has a new power source and the spirits can't push her around anymore so she can do what she wants. Which is sort of how she had ended season three as well when she puts Klaus into Tyler's body at the yes, end of season three. Yes, yes, yes. He's like mildly impressed at her and she's like, I can do what I want now. I don't have to listen to those irritating ghosts. Then immediately they show her visions of her grams being tortured, and she's like, damn, I guess I was wrong. I'm sorry, guys. You know, Bonnie had been on probation for a while. She'd broken a lot of rules. Because first, first it was like, don't overuse the hundred dead witches magic or you'll die. And she was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Did. Then it was like, oh, Damon is dying. And because my best friend likes him, sort of, we're looking for a cure for the werewolf venom. And they were like, we don't care about Damon. We're not going to help you. And Bonnie was like, please, please, please. So they did. They said... Okay, we'll give you a hint, it's Klaus. <laughs> then Jeremy got shot and she was like, please let me bring my dead boyfriend back to life. I really love him. And they were like, okay, fine, but you're cut off from the power. <laughs> then she delved into dark magic and the spirits were like, no, 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 girl. Uh-uh. You've had enough chances. <laughs> we're tired of this. We're tired of this shit. Okay, you're running us ragged. They were like, we are at our wits end with you. We need Something needs to change. <laughs> but she does fail at this, unfortunately. And Elena does have to complete her transition. They have a memorial, I believe. They light the lanterns and say they have a memorial for everyone who they've lost, which for each of the characters is is quite is quite a high number, especially you know. collectively. So Elena, you know, always the center of attention. Once they've mentioned <laughs> all the people who are actually dead, Elena's like, and for me, I guess, <laughs> in terms of her old human life. 
And I'm like, Elena. All right, Elena. I think- there are four other vampiric people standing here who have all died. After the memorial, Jeremy and Matt are at the grill. And this is where he sees for the first time Connor Jordan, who he sees as just a dude sitting at the bar with a cool tattoo running all the way down his arm. And when he vocalizes this and goes, he's like, nice ink. <laughs> yeah, he says, nice ink. And Matt is like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> he didn't see a tattoo at all. And you can go back to the Silas episode for like more explicit details about this whole journey. But essentially, Connor Jordan has come to town as a hunter capital h one of the five these supernatural hunters who were created a thousand years ago give or take and are charged with it's unclear which of these is their mission but it's either (laughs) ending the world of vampirism or curing the immortal silas and making sure he dies maybe both because jeremy has spotted this tattoo Connor has uh, clocked him as a potential to also become a uh, hunter of the five, the same way he did when he saw the tattoo on his predecessor. Yes, his predecessor. That's the one I was looking for. I find it funny that in this scene, Matt and Jeremy like disagree over like the existence of a tattoo, but like it's it's not that deep for either of them. And I'm just like, Jeremy, you live in a town full of magic. You yourself are a medium. You don't think maybe it's a little strange that Matt Donovan, who has perfect eyesight on any other day, didn't see this man's like full tattoo going up his entire arm. Jeremy's like, if I have to think about it twice, then I'm thinking about it zero times. Please, <laughs> just I'm just trying to make it through my day, man. There's always too much. Jeremy's going like, on. it was probably nothing. <laughs> just, <laughs> it was just the wind. <laughs> my dead girlfriend's haunted me once, but it was probably nothing. Regular disappearing tattoo. Connor begins to wreak some havoc throughout town. He's attacking vampires. He's attacking innocents. He's setting traps for people to walk in and get blown up. When they eventually capture him, Klaus specifically uses Jeremy to, because he's the only one who can see the tattoo, and they need the tattoo of the five to find the map to the cure. They use Jeremy and his art skills, pulls out his little sketchbook to draw the tattoo so that everyone It comes back, you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think think it's Klaus who says, I'm told young Jeremy is something of an artist, which I'm like, (laughs) and and Klaus has also been given... Klaus too, who's also an artist! The show is full of artists. Klaus is a thousand. It would be odd if you're a thousand and you're not. You don't have some skill that you've practiced for years on end. Klaus is a painter because by then, Julie Plek was like, okay, the girls think Joseph Morgan is hot. I need to make his character look (laughs) sensitive and, you know, humane every now and then. He's a tortured artist. There we go. No, because it's like... Sure, okay, I'll forget that he's ripped so many people's heads open. People we know, people we love and are related to, because he can paint a little flower for Caroline. Yeah, Jeremy is largely here to draw the map and hand it over and just be like the liaison, essentially, with this Hunter of the Five, because he's taking a little bit of a shine to him. He and Jeremy make a bit of a connection because of the whole, oh, you seem to be a potential I, I see in you this this budding young hunter and it's sort of this dark mirror to jeremy's relationship with alaric 
where Alaric started off as this antagonist to the vampires, but eventually became their ally, and he was really only hunting the bad ones. Whereas Connor is like, no, they're all bad, and I'll even kill humans who get in the way of me trying to kill them. I'll even kill you, Jeremy, in as much as you're my would-be protege. <laughs> also, it's around this time, I don't know who, I don't know who it is who's been compelling Jeremy. I think it's Klaus who's been trying to... It's Klaus. He and, yeah, he and, he and Stefan have been using Jeremy to find out what they can about Connor and the Brotherhood of the Five. And Connor, when he brings it up later in front of Jeremy, Matt, and April, um, Jeremy's like, I don't remember meeting you or any of this happening. And Connor's like, yeah, you've been, you've clearly been compelled. This cute little vervain bracelet that you've had since season one, you need to start drinking vervain, not just wearing it where anyone can take it off of you. The moment they introduce the drinking of vervain, it is fully insane that anyone is just relying on vervain bracelet. They need to be putting that shit in the morning tea. Like, I don't get it. Especially because Catherine, Catherine has shown how easy it is to dismember someone and remove their magical protective jewelry. You've got a ring, I've just got to chop off your fingers, buddy. <laughs> but yes, he leaps up and is like, I've been compelled? And is like, you silly boy. I'm sure at this point for Jeremy is a sore spot because he's like, okay, how many times are my supposed allies going to mess with my mind? First, you made me forget my girlfriend and her death. And my most of my feelings for her. Then you made me leave town. <laughs> then when it suited your needs, you brought me back. <laughs> but once Elena has killed Connor Jordan, because I mean, again, he has been tearing through Mystic Falls, endangering people, and she's like, "Not my family, not my friends," especially because she's an unstable vampire right now. She gets the Hunter's Curse inflicted on her for killing Connor. She starts hallucinating violently. It pushes her to um, sort of suicidal tendencies. And so they figure Jeremy, who has seen this tattoo and is a potential hunter, was named a potential hunter by Connor. If he just kills a vampire, any vampire, then the tattoo will start to appear on him. And so he does. And so it does. And (laughs) Jeremy becomes one of the five. Now with the mark of the five appearing on his body, and now that he's officially a hunter, he starts to exhibit the qualities that people had seen in Connor. Connor was a bit enhanced compared to a human being. He was stronger. He was more alert. He was more agile. There's a scene where him and Matt are unpacking like kegs yeah. for some sort of event this is the miss mystic falls pageant actually now that i remember because this is when uh, april wanted to go with matt that's a nice calendar mark for us because if you go back to the miss mystic pageant of season one and then this miss mystic pageant in season four you can just see how many events are in the year like, of, like for mystic falls how many events do they have per year everything that falls between those two episodes is a year But yeah, Matt's trying to lift this keg, and Matt, who is arguably, like, the largest of the guys there, is struggling with this keg, can't even get off the ground, and Jeremy's like, watch this, and he lifts it by the handle with one hand and puts it over his shoulder, and Matt's like, whoa! He actually manages to pick up two of them. As usual with Jeremy, he's just treating it very matter-of-factly. Matt's like slightly weirded out and then jeremy's like oh no since i was awakened as a hunter it's like i've got all this energy yeah i've got all this crazy energy and then matt's like do you maybe want to talk to someone about this and jeremy's like nah it's probably fine what are you talking about there's nothing to worry like, about you're developing superpowers jeremy this is <laughs> like you're telling me to think twice matthew i've never done that in my life <laughs> <laughs> 
fully just like he's in like a tank too i mean you've been seeing it over the seasons but stephen mcqueen has been putting on like insane amounts of muscle but yeah finally gets to show it off he's no longer like the little nerdy kid like running around this crew like season three season four he's very clearly like this large dude and now it makes sense in tracks matt specifically says that like if this thing is giving you crazy energy and we saw that this connor guy was so hell-bent on killing vampires like are you not worried that that's something that's gonna happen to you like your sister's a vampire now so many of your friends are and he's like nah i'll be fine i'd never hurt my sister and then <laughs> immediately in his next scene he is having a nightmare where he's helping elena put on a necklace and then starts to choke her <laughs> so he, he wishes she would stop acting like she's his sister and then starts choking her to the point that she's bleeding when he wakes up he's holding a <laughs> he's holding a knife in one hand and a stake in the other so it's very clear that he has like connor become a man possessed with this sort of vampire hunting urge beyond reasonability and rationality to his credit he does tell matt about this matt is like listen it's this mark it's messing you up i'm gonna tell elena if you gotta talk to her but if you don't i will tell her at this point stefan is now trying to get jeremy to slay more vampires because he's very hell-bent on getting the map to this cure he's been roped in by klaus who has assured him that there is a cure for vampirism at the end of this map we both want elena to be human you so that y'all can go back to being in love again and me so i can make more hybrids so we're doing this so stefan is now creating vampires for jeremy to kill because there aren't that many lying around in mystic falls he is finding some awful people people who have done like murder or like mass murder like those sorts of things serial killing and people who show no remorse for that so it's like i guess by his own standards that's a creed i'm not sure if i'm down with it but who's here to discuss capital punishment i don't know what stefan's standards are because he like he he compels this man on death row in the hospital and he's like what are you in for and the man tells him that like multiple homicides or something and then he asks him obviously under the influence of compulsion he asks him like any regrets and the man says only that i was caught which i'm like okay so that's how stefan knows for a fact that this man is not sorry in a way in which a normal person would never know i'm just like stefan your big brother has murdered multiple people and is rarely ever remorseful so who are you to decide (laughs) that this man deserves death it's honestly crazier that like you've decided that a human person should die for that but your vampire brother it's okay we keep him around i don't expect stefan to kill damon obviously Obviously. i'm just like stefan i expect you to not go around handing out capital punishment to people who have done things no worse than you and your brother have done right you was a ripper of my and sure you had regrets but you surely have a higher body count yes and also, it's like, you, you live with Damon, and Damon has killed <laughs> members of your team. He's <laughs> <laughs> killed your best friend. I don't know. This early season four is not a good look for Stefan. I have, because you could argue that his no emotions era was worst Stefan. I have an argument that I'm saving for Stefan's episode that that's actually best Stefan, but we'll get into it. This, I think, is his, it's not his best look. This early season four, when he's so hell-bent on getting the cure that he's willing to do a lot more things than he normally is it's tough to watch especially because a lot of that motivation we know is from wanting to cure elena back into being in love with him asterisk phrasing back into being less in love with Damon. asterisk (laughs) phrasing 
We'll save that for another day. We'll hash we this will out. We will save that for for an Elena or Stefan or Damon episode. Stefan's trying to get Jeremy to kill these vampires he's creating. Jeremy seems very frustrated with the process. They're like, how much did the mark grow? And it's not that much. And Stefan tries to compel Jeremy at this point to like give him information. And then we see that actually that's not possible anymore because his status as a hunter means he's immune to compulsion. So Jeremy then says, oh, actually, as it turns out, you can't control me. And then stakes Stefan in the stomach, takes his stuff and leaves. So for as much as this hunter thing is not having a good effect on him, the fact that he's allowed to have agency with the powers that he's received is something heretofore unseen. (laughs) Like when he was doing his medium thing, which assumedly he still has, he was being used left and right. The fact that he can decide here... No, actually, I'm not going to kill vampires for you. Stella. I must commend Jeremy for in as much as this status as a hunter, capital H, seems to be slowly driving him a little bit. I'm not going to say it's not really corrupting him as of yet. It's just making him maybe a bit a bit manic, a bit a bit overcharged. He doesn't kill Stefan. He stakes him in a non-lethal way and just leaves him on the floor. So, True. you know, at least. We we respect the restraint. Because, <laughs> I mean, St- Stefan was not expecting the compulsion to not take. Jeremy could have fully surprised him. Taken advantage of the situation, offed him. Driven that stick right through his heart. But he was like, well, I'm not going to kill you. I don't need to. But you know now not to cross me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, listen, it's a good look for him. And I think he's he's probably feeling pretty smug in that scene because, as I mentioned, Jeremy has been compelled so many times. He's quite annoyed at finding out that he was recently compelled again. Yeah. So he's probably thinking, oh, thank goodness, none of you guys can mess with my head again. Stop <laughs> doing it. I'm sick of it. Stop this shit now. But yeah, he heads off to the pageant. He was supposed to go with April, but he was busy with Stefan. Jeremy does tell her at this point that her father, Pastor Young, April's father, did a really crazy murder-suicide, um, burning up the town council with him. He tells her that her father was doing the right thing for this town and they all died heroes. Which, what does that mean? I guess before that, when he was trying to clean up the council and make sure nobody had vampire allies. I think it's that. It's like the council had become... <laughs> Infected, right. as it were, by, you know, Carol, who sympathizes with her hybrid son, and Liz, who sympathizes with her vampire daughter, and Alaric, who is a vampire hunter with, like, three vampire besties. <laughs> so, now that Jeremy is being colored by these shades of hunter instinct, he's like, this is wrong, we should have kept this council pure. And also, I, I guess the side of him that is still Jeremy is aware of, like, you know, Uncle John's teachings and how Uncle John sort of had a, not a zero tolerance policy, like a zero plus Isabel tolerance (laughs) policy of vampires. That's so interesting, actually, because we talk about Alaric and Vampalaric, right? Vampalaric, who manifested after so many times dying with this ring on, but drew on Alaric's own run-ins with vampires and the way vampires had had messed up his life and also the life of his loved ones had taken so many loved ones from him that when he was at that stage of we need to clean up this town that that's why it was so easy for Vampiric to manifest because it was drawing on those aspects of him it's interesting that like you can draw that same line for Jeremy Hunter Capital H, need a better name for him, that like he has the influence of John somewhere in the back of his head, even if he'd rather not. He has been so often played around, as we keep saying, by vampires being compelled, being sent places, being brought back, 
all of Klaus's hybrids messing with him, both in season three and early season four. It's like, yeah, you can extrapolate that into this hunter persona that is now kind of possessing him a little bit. And indeed, when when Esther turns Evil Auric into Vampiloric, she says to Elena, "Vampires took everything from him. Now he's getting his vengeance because obviously he's lost Jenna, and Isabel was corrupted by vampirism and eventually left him and then died. And it's like, yeah, who who can say they've lost more to vampires than Jeremy? Because unlike Elena, he doesn't even maintain a relationship with two of them. The two vampires he dates dies. One of them was forcibly turned into a vampire." He loses two of his remaining guardians to vampire shenanigans. Like, he's got as much reason as anybody to hate all these things. And he says in season three, when he... I think Barney asks him when he comes back that he's... Why he's still wearing the ring, has he not heard about what happened to Rick? And he's like, yeah, I did, but for as long as my sister chooses to hang around with vampires, I'm going to keep wearing the ring. Yes. So you can see where he sits, at least in terms of stance about vampires, even though they have so many close to them. Even earlier in season four, this season that we're on now, I don't know whether it's in the first episode when Elena is still in transition, but he's like, I need my sister, not another one of them. Oh. And I'm like, ooh, oh. damn. Damn, that's rough. Set up and pay off. Naturally, this hunter thing that's happening to him uh, obviously gets worse. He encounters Elena at this party. She, of course, not thinking anything of it, because this is her brother. She comes in, asks where he's been, and he is pushing a stake into the palm of his hand. She's like, what the hell are you doing? And Jeremy's like, Connor was right. The only thing he can think about is killing vampires. She tries to assert that he's nothing like Connor. And he's like, okay, sure. But also right now, the only thing I want to do is drive a stake through your heart. So what do you have to say to that? She's like, I know you never hurt me. But she smells the blood on his hand because, again, he's been pushing the stake into his hand and backs away. And then she gets the vampire face. Jeremy begins to walk towards her. She turns away and throws him to the ground. She tries to get him to wake up. And when he does, he stakes her in the neck with a stake that was up his arm like underneath his shirt <laughs> and he's about to kill her he's about to do the killing blow when matt comes in and tells jeremy that he doesn't actually want to kill elena it's just this hunter's mark and so he pauses and hesitates and then stefan comes in and pushes jeremy against the wall and he tells matt to take jeremy out of the room and he then takes care of elena and then I think at the end of this episode is when Jeremy can no longer stay in the Gilbert house if his drive now is to kill his own sister. So Jeremy wanted to leave. And then Matt is like, no, 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 no. Elena's already left. I'm going to stay here with you. Matt was like, I'm not passing up on the chance to live in a big house like all the rest <laughs> of you have. One your whole life. house is getting small and I'm the only one living there. I will live in a mansion if you want me to. Hey, listen, the, the Donovan house actually looks pretty nice. It does. Like, it's like a I'm normal like, suburban house. meant to be the poor friend? Like... It seems like he and Vicky had their own rooms. His mother had her own room. They got a kitchen, a living room. I shared a room it's with siblings. I'm always like, I don't think you guys are actually poor. I don't think you know what poverty is. That's why for Vicky <laughs> earlier, I didn't. I said specifically, she's not from the wrong side of the tracks. She's from the wrong street on the right side. They are suburban kids. It's just that all their friends are like old money rich. So they look poor by comparison. Matt and Vicky are those kids who come from a household where it's like, okay, there's only one car in this household. <laughs> as opposed to like, maybe two. Exactly. <laughs> I think of that scene from Bryce Bryce Bodies where Rachel Seno tells that girl, your parents are upper 
oh, yes. I just want to sit the Donovan siblings down and shake them and tell them this. Elena goes to stay with the Salvatores while Matt moves in with Jeremy to keep an eye on him while he's doing his hunter business. It's really tense because, again, Jeremy and Elena, when we start the show off, they're in a very tense place. Season 2 and Season 3, they've grown so much tighter again, assumedly back to what they used to be before their parents died. And now they're getting split up again by this, well, she sent him away a couple of times. But in that moment, there was love. But now it's like, damn, my own brother's trying to kill me. It's like, it's not him, but it is. Now I have to move into my current boyfriend's house and my ex-boyfriend has to move out of there because it's awkward. It's a weird time for everybody in this era. <laughs> I love that they initially thought Stefan would just keep staying there and Stefan is like, no, what, what I'm gonna go. <laughs> is Stefan supposed to sit there while they're having sex? What was this plan? <laughs> I don't know. Had had Elena and Damon started smashing at that point, maybe. I'm not sure. No, they hadn't. Because the first time they do is when Stefan's already... I guess crashing with Caroline, I think. And they realize that the sire bond. Because if they were sexually active, I'm like, please don't do that in the house with Stefan. You you know he has super hearing like the rest of you do. Give me a little bit of time and space to process. We just broke up yesterday. Stefan is like, regardless, I'm not going to stay in this house while you two make googly eyes at each other and try to figure out what you are. Valid. I'm going to go stay with with Lexi (laughs) (laughs) 2.0. I don't know, is, is that where he stays? Do we confirm that that's where he stays? I think he goes to stay with Caroline. I'm not sure. I can't say for certain, but I think so. That's sweet. Maybe Sheriff Force is like, it's okay. He can sleep in the guest room. Maybe he wasn't crashing there. He was just speaking with Caroline because he needed to like talk to his friend about the mess that's been happening. And he was going to go to a motel after this or something. Maybe he was Maybe he was going to go camp in the in the 100 Dead Witches house. <laughs> that's where everyone like, goes when, when all else fails that's where they go and they won't burn him because sheila's like tight with him she'll be like it's all right i know this white boy he can stick yeah. around and and emily and emily emily Damn, also always all liked the him Bennett's tight with Stefan. yeah after this i think jeremy is at the gilbert house later onwards this is when bonnie who has been studying under professor shane in his hypnotherapy sessions to try and, you know, access a different kind of magic from the usual, she was like, well, if he's got hypnotherapy skills, maybe we can use it on Jeremy to make him so that he doesn't want to kill his own sister. He's at the Gilbert Summer House. He's chopping wood, I guess, because, I don't know, he needs to release all that hunter energy. Oh, yeah, that's... (laughs) I remember it vividly. (laughs) (laughs) Skip rewinding it, I'm sure. Just going back another 10 seconds. High school me was like... I'm here for this. If, if this if this hunter's arc and you wanting to kill your sister has all led to this moment, it was worth it for me. I accept it with open arms. Listen, I had not seen Jeremy any kind of way prior to this. Truly the hunter the hunter stuff was like he was always shirtless now. And it's like, he was always in vests, and it's like, okay. He's just been like bowl cut younger brother this whole time. I was having my Bonnie moment, <laughs> you know? I'm like, wow, overnight, suddenly he's hot and tall and muscular. What's going on? (laughs) Uh, Elena comes over after they've assured that, you know, Jeremy's been going through this sort of hypnotherapy training. So Elena comes in and is like approaching Jeremy and is like, hey, it's me. How you doing? Jeremy, as soon as they hug, 
grabs for a weapon and tries to attack her. And <laughs> Elena spins him around and has her by the neck and is like, oh, god damn it. What are you supposed to be doing here then? He's clearly not fixed. And so, I forget the exactitudes of it, but Shane was trying to pull on Jeremy's positive emotions for Elena and to anchor them so that he would be able to access that every time he felt a drive to attack her. That does not work very successfully. Yeah, he described it like an like an alternate pathway that Jeremy's brain or subconscious or whatever could take where it'd be like whenever he's presented with this this urge to kill vampires, he could take the alternate pathway by rooting it in his love for Elena. That was, I guess, Shane just theorizing. Listen, we're not going <laughs> to debate the validity of Shane's work. I think he was freewheeling everything, and you know what? Fair enough. Seems to work every time. Well, not this time. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't work, and then it suggested that, well, instead of doing it on Elena, why don't we find someone else to pin it to so that, you know, it's not like counterbalancing each other every time. It's Damon who says, no wonder this isn't working. Shane is not as smart as he thinks he is. He's basically telling you to not want to kill vampires by focusing on how much you love your sister who's a vampire. (laughs) So then he says, you need to root those warm, gooey feelings in somebody else's you care about and he goes gee i wonder who that could be (laughs) while bonnie is like standing behind him and then jeremy looks like past damon and he looks at bonnie he's like you i feel that way about you and i'm like oh jeremy isn't dead yet i was so happy (laughs) (laughs) what did you call it what's their ship name baramy it's the official ship name it it doesn't roll off the tongue very well, but that's what it is. And as the virtually the only person in the Vampire Diaries fandom who actually liked that pairing... <laughs> what do you mean? Did nobody like Jeremy and Bonnie? As time went on, not at the time it was happening, but like once we were in the later seasons and the show had ended as well, I learned that a lot of people really weren't that interested in Jeremy and Bonnie. People oh, were like, meh. Wow. A lot of people by the end of the show really preferred Bonnie and Enzo. And I was like, what? I honestly think Jeremy and Bonnie are each other's best pairings across the show. I really do. Thank you. There's, there's Thank you. a very big bump in the road when he very much is cheating on her after she brought him back from the dead. And I will always bring that up. Yes. I definitely have brought it up many a time. But once they've separated, once they've grown separately and they return to each other and they figure it out, that's like the best case scenario. Because it was never an issue with them as a couple. It was an issue with Jeremy never getting closure on these two girlfriends of his who died suddenly and without him being present. And once that chapter is fully closed, they can now like finally do the thing and they do the thing in season four and five and it's great i love them together that's what how i felt but a lot of people it was it actually reminded me a bit of in glee between seasons two and three mercedes starts dating sam and a lot of the fans are like oh mercedes finally gets the love interest because for years we've been begging the writers to pair her off with somebody because everybody else had gotten to be in at least one pairing however how brief and then a lot of people treated the Bonnie and Enzo pairing like that, where they were like, oh, we love Bonnie with Enzo. Finally, she gets a man worthy of her. She's in a pairing. And I was like, but she had Jeremy for a while. Like, they're acting like they forgot Jeremy and they only knew of Luca. And uh, what's, what was her What was her not stepbrother's Ugh, name? I can't even remember. <laughs> Jamie. Jamie, yes, it's Jamie. Jamie and the, the guy she flirted with for one night before Caroline ate him. <laughs> I don't know his name on the show. He's a really good Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. character. And I guess Ben McKittrick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, Jeremy and her are together 
a total of so if we start from the moment they're like flirtation starts from halfway through season two to quarter way through season three right so it's like three quarters of a season then most of season four all of season five and half of season six even though she's technically not there yeah that is her longest relationship <laughs> throughout the show enzo is half a season <laughs> <laughs> and a shorter season than the usual season season eight's like 16 episodes i guess people found jeremy really boring i i don't know hey fair enough i don't want to think that it's because he cheated on her because i'd be like if you can forgive damon salvatore <laughs> for everything he has done this you are not about to sit so here and tell small. me that you will not forgive jeremy for kissing his dead ex-girlfriend <laughs> I will forgive and not let him forget. And I do think the reason that at that point everyone was so excited about Enzo was because, damn, finally Bonnie has a love interest again, right? Because she doesn't in season seven. Yeah. And she doesn't when she comes back in season six because Jeremy's gone again. So I get that, but it's like that can't be the driving force. And Enzo? Like, I appreciate that the chemistry with Michael Malarkey and Kat Graham is pretty good. But, like, is this your fighter? Enzo St. John. I also, I also didn't like the idea of Bonnie's one true love being a vampire. I was like, her whole life has been her family, her ancestors, her grandmother warning her against vampires and how they pull you into their drama and you as a witch will always end up worse for it, which always turns out which to be true. Which does happen. <laughs> it does happen. So the idea that human Jeremy is not as good for her as Enzo the vampire I'm just like, okay, if you if you guys say so. I don't, I just, Enzo too, of all people. That's shocking to me that the people are like, Enzani, is that even, uh, it sounds like a, a condition. Enzani over Barami. I think it's Benzo. Is it Benzo? <laughs> I that think sounds it's like Benzo. a medication for the condition. Where are we? <laughs> What are we talking the about? Pharmacy. Oh my god. Benzo. It's the it's the pills that Elena was prescribed when Jeremy was dealing. Benzo. Was dealing in season one. No, but like Jeremy Barry also reminds me of the good place because that's the name for the way time works in that world. Or oh, one part of it. They they show an image of the I'll send it to you later, an image of the of how like the timeline works and it does a Jeremy Barry me in the middle. <laughs> Which is where it, oh, does, it I do creates a that. shape that looks like someone signed Jeremy Barrymore. It's so <laughs> dumb, but it's so good. I need to rewatch that series. It was so, so fun. So good. But yes, oh god, where are we? That Jeremy has decided to focus his warm fuzzy feelings on, on Bonnie. Bonnie and yes. Thus, Barrymore is rekindled. It is nice that they are reforming their relationship in this season. It's like, albeit through this rehabilitation of Jeremy, it's like they get a chance to reconnect. They do say that, like, you get the vibe of, like, yeah, it's been a while, but, like, here we are. And it's like, ooh, maybe we could try again. I don't know. It's cute. As is the tradition in this universe, (laughs) Bonnie is like, I can fix it. All the women in this show with their love interest, they're like, I can fix it. You know what? This is the one you stand the best chance with. Because Jeremy, as has been proven over multiple seasons, is fixable. Okay? Season one, they fix him. Season two, he's like right front and center ready to help us. Season three, bit of a rough spot. But he comes around. Yeah. I think this is your best chance. Long story short, Jeremy spends a lot of time basically doing this practice to not kill Elena, but also kill other vampires 
so that they can grow this hunter's mark and they can eventually get to the place where the cure is. As discussed in the Silas episode, they do kill Cole, major plan by Elena, to kill Cole as an original and therefore kill all the vampires descended from his bloodline, complete the mark in one go. And they head off to the island to find the cure, the island of Nova Scotia. Jeremy is mainly just the hunter, capital H, for a couple episodes. It's just like, yeah, Jeremy has the map, and we need him to open the tomb to Silas. And so him and Bonnie head down into the tomb after a bunch of shenanigans happens up top. Shane breaks his leg. They leave Shane behind. It's what she deserves. It's what she deserves. They go to Silas and they realize that they need to give him blood to um, soften his petrified state so he can release his hand on the cure, the box that holds the cure that he's holding in his hands. They don't want to do it. Catherine shows up pretending to be Elena and she forces him to do it. She rips Jeremy's throat open and feeds him to Silas. And she calls him Little Gilbert in that scene. You know, She's like, it's been too long, Little Gilbert. She said, back to basics, from the start and now to your end, you'll always be Little Gilbert to me. Silas drains Jeremy dry. And this is after he's fought with Galen Vaughn to like try and defend Bonnie, but Bonnie's already been stabbed, I think. So she's like bleeding out. Yeah. But Jeremy gets drained dry by Silas and dies for the fourth time, I think. Because he is a hunter now, because he's one of the five, he is a supernatural creature. So his Gilbert ring does not work for him and it will not bring Yes. Back. I actually forgot to bring this up when we were discussing season two. Oh, yeah. The scene brings us full circle on the mechanics of the Gilbert ring because it's in season two when... Jeremy finds out that Bonnie overusing the hundred dead witches magic could kill her. He gives her his ring and she's like, she makes a joke about, oh, isn't it a bit soon for you to like be asking me to go steady? This is old fashioned. (laughs) And he's like, no, I want you to take my Gilbert ring so that it will protect you. And, you know, if you die, you can come back. Yeah. And then she explains to him that the ring won't work for me um, because it's made to protect from supernatural. It won't work for a supernatural being. Mm. So I think that's the first time that we're explicitly told that. And then it comes full circle with this now. Jeremy is still wearing the ring, but it no longer works on him because he's now a supernatural being as a hunter with a capital H. Jeremy's death is a big blow, specifically to Elena, who at this point has been going through it. She is in a delusion that the ring will bring him back, even though everyone else has realized, yeah, that's not going to happen. I mean, the loophole she was in denial, telling herself existed, I was like, I why maybe you thought that she was like i know he was a supernatural hunter but once we found the tomb his hunter's mark faded away so maybe he wasn't a hunter anymore and he was now just human because he'd served his purpose we'd found the cure i have it's a it's a long shot but i've got to cling to hope well and good everyone who was a vampire could smell him at that point decomposing (laughs) so i don't want to say that's explicitly definitive but i think it's a fairly good sign i mean hey the ring the ring malfunctioned once before when it brought alaric back but didn't heal his injuries so that's true that's true i could have i could have still used that as a as a, a loophole be like we, we don't know how the mechanics of work. <laughs> yeah listen I, I elena was making fair arguments i'd never want to suggest otherwise however her state at that point suggested maybe she is aware on some level what's happening and she is clinging to delusional hope she finally does accept that he dead she starts to lose it eventually they tried to try to get her to calm down stefan asks damon 
to use their sire bond because she is sire bonded to Damon to try and get her to calm down. Damon instead uses the sire bond to turn off her emotions. She then burns down the house. Is Jeremy's body in there when she burns down the house? It is still very much in the house. In fact, she she says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to burn the house down with him in it. She's like, we need a cover story, right? Like, nobody's going to be like... <laughs> yeah, she even, she even lampshades it. She's like, she's like, what are we going to say? Fell down the stairs? Animal attack? <laughs> no. And I'm like, yeah, you guys have truly expended your animal attack cover-ups. And even Jenna, who, when Catherine compelled her to stab herself, the cover story was, oh, she ran she into ran it to a mistake. <laughs> what does that mean? As Elena's taking the nuclear option with Jeremy, Barney is uh, here being influenced by Silas that it's actually possible to bring Jeremy back. So she starts down that path. And the house burns down with Jeremy's body in it. I do like that they didn't make the mistake of forgetting that he was wearing the Gilbert ring. Elena snatches it off his hand. She said that's a valuable relic. We can use this for somebody else. Waste not, want not. Yes. Okay, that's the Gilbert (laughs) family motto. So yeah, this is like Jeremy's big death. And then he comes back, well, the actor comes back as Silas masquerading as Jeremy to Barney to, like, you know, scare her into doing what he wants. But he actually comes back when she does the spell to drop the veil to the other side within the space of the expression triangle, the three sacrifices that were made. He comes back as a spirit, Which, I mean, a bunch of spirits come back corporeally because of the spell. And him and Barney get to see each other again. Cole is also there. Uh, Cole is attacking Elena because, of course, Elena is the only living person left who was responsible for his death. And Jeremy comes back, crossbow in hand, shooting at Cole like a badass. I think it comes from off screen (laughs) and hits Cole. And then you see Jeremy in like a leather jacket, probably didn't die in. Absolutely not. (laughs) And he (laughs) rocks up. And he's like, here to protect his big sister. And it's like, oh, Jeremy's back. Stefan also comes in to help. Uh, He fights with Cole, snaps his neck. And then Jeremy, like, goes straight for Elena. And they hug. And it's this really sweet reunion. And he then goes with her to go see Bonnie, who's also overjoyed. They have to real quick say their goodbyes because they know that the veil to the other side isn't staying down forever. Bonnie dropped it just to speak to Ketsia to find a way to get rid of Silas. And so they only have this one evening. So she, uh, Elena, that is, Jeremy, and Rick, who is also back, all are like hanging out and drinking in like a field or something. But they know it can't last. And it's just nice that they got that considering the way they were all separated at the end of season three. Because Elena was off dying in the river. Rick was dying in a warehouse in Chicago, potentially. And Jeremy was stuck in town. So it's nice that they get this. But for his final moments, he and Elena, because they've agreed no tears for this reunion, he leaves her a letter as he's on his way out and he decides to spend his final moments with Bonnie. Bury me! I just, how can you not? How can you not? He's like, my sister and I have said all we need to say. I want to be with you as you do this last thing. Like, oh, it's so good. She, at this point, I believe has died, right? She overreaches again and she's like, she's like, I have access to all the magic, the spirits, expression, Expression. the darkness, which she hasn't used in season three. Right. And then (laughs) 
And I guess it's the first time it happens where she she pulls Jeremy's spirit through from the other side and makes his body corporeal again. It's it's especially after as much as they've been interacting in season four, there was never a concrete thing, and then he dies. And so she's been working so hard to like bring him back through the means that Silas was describing, that like now that she's doing this triangle to just like get rid of Silas. And now that he's right here in front of her, and it's like, as she's putting up this veil again, he's like, listen, I'm ready to go. They're talking about all the things they never said. And, oh, I forget what he says, but it's this really sweet moment where they kiss as she's putting the veil back up. Because they know they won't be able to touch each other after this. You know what it is? When she tries to resurrect Jeremy, it's after she's calcified Silas, I think. Yes. Yes. So it's before she puts the veil back up. So she calcifies Silas and she's like, I'm so powerful, I could do anything. And she tries to resurrect Jeremy by herself and it doesn't work. And she dies in the process. So when she does meet Jeremy, she's already a ghost at that point. Ah. So that's why when he comes to see her last and she's like, I'm scared. Because when she closes the veil, she's going to go with it. And then that's when they kiss. And as they kiss... Jeremy staggers back and he takes in a breath and then he's confused but like he's still here rather than disappearing with the veil and then when he hugs Bonnie he can't feel her and he realizes that somehow she's a ghost and she's like listen man we'll be able to talk to each other all the time because if you've forgotten by now I'm sure some viewers have you're a medium so you can see me whenever you'd like (laughs) but (laughs) you have to promise that you are going to tell everybody that I'm perfectly fine and I'm off on a summer vacation, and I'm super not dead. Because <laughs> I need everyone to have a good time in graduation and for the summer without being bummed out by my death. Which Because as usual, I'm Bonnie, and I gotta give it all up. And I have to sacrifice for everyone. Yeah. But through this action, Bonnie has once again brought Jeremy back from the dead. That is like the last episode of season four that's the graduation episode it's interesting because it's a similar ending to season two she brings him back from the dead and he's able to see a ghost but now they're together in it you know rather than it's the secret this ugly secret that he's keeping from her it's like she's the ghost now and they she's get the to secret. talk all the time but that's the thing that sucks about it is that now she's the secret now she is Honestly, a fulfillment of his fear. She's the third dead girlfriend, right? Yeah. Everything that he was afraid of actually comes to pass. And when we open in season five, he's still three months later, the only one who knows. He's been keeping it a secret. And now as her, like, oath keeper, surely it's been, like, weighing on him. He's managing her emails, postcards, texts. Anytime someone's contacting Bonnie, it's like there's a delay, but he's the one sending a response. So, you know, not a fun time, but at least they can see each other. This only lasts so long because he very quickly becomes frustrated, both by the fact that they're hiding this from friends and family, but also that, like, this existence that they're in now, where it's like, I can see you all the time, but I can't touch you. It's driving me insane. But, yeah, that's kind of their vibe until Silas shows up. (laughs) Silas, who Jeremy clocks because um, even with death and resurrection, he still retains that Hunter, capital H, aspect of himself. 
So when he like shakes Stefan's hand or like taps him on the shoulder or something, he immediately gets a bad vibe. Very similar to how Bonnie gets a bad vibe from vampires when she encounters them. I like that they have this kind of psychic parallel between them. And when he tells Bonnie, Bonnie's like, oh, that's Silas. That's Silas for sure. Jeremy gets embroiled in Silas's games. Catherine, who's now human after having been forced for the cure, they have to like bring her back because Silas wants to drink the cure out of her body. That's largely what Jeremy's doing at this point. Keeping Bonnie secret and helping deal with Silas. But not a lot happening for him himself. He tries to take on Silas a number of times. When he tries it with Silas as a witch, it doesn't work out because he's 2,000 years old and he's so powerful. He does try it with Silas when his psychic powers are disabled. Uh, Kitsia, who links Stefan and Silas and then burns through Stefan's psyche to get through Silas's psyche, thereby disabling his psychic powers. Again, Silas is just a dude without his psychic powers. He's unkillable, but he is just a regular man. And so Jeremy takes a bit longer than I would hope as a hunter, but does fight Silas to the ground, essentially. But Silas uses a tree branch i think once jeremy's winning the fight to like pull them both onto it to stab himself and to stab jeremy through his own body and then picks up a hatchet that jeremy has brought going to kill him again i might add because silas killed him in season four (laughs) but yeah it's just a lot of soldiering for the cause being the like a big muscly hunter to go fight someone or kidnap someone as the mystic falls gang requires but when shit starts to hit the fan he then starts informing people hey listen guys actually bonnie's not on summer vacation that's lasting five months she is in fact dead frankly you should have clocked it when her father was killed in front of the whole town and she didn't come back I understand that you're in an era of not noticing when your loved ones go missing for months on end, but I wish you would have noticed. <laughs> oh, the Stephen Sheet. But he tells Damon, he tells Caroline, Matt, and Elena, and they hold a service for Bonnie in the woods, which is this really somber affair. But again, because Jeremy's a medium and can see and speak to Bonnie, he acts as her voice to assure everyone that she will still be here even if they can't see or hear her and she wants them to live their best lives which is possibly even sadder than just losing someone oh yeah depending on your beliefs like believing that they're at peace or in some sort of paradise it's like oh no they're stuck here they're watching you live your happy life while they can't get anything done fun times (laughs) so bad yeah i think he's part of the campaign to get Bonnie back to life, essentially. Which happens very quickly after they've had this very, like, emotional memorial. But it's the Vampire Diaries. They are, like, relying on Silas. In return for them bringing Catherine to him so he can drink the cure from her, he's promised to use his witch powers as a 2,000-year-old witch to bring Bonnie back from the dead. After finding Amara, his true love, who turns out to be the anchor between this world and the other side... And her drinking the cure from him, he then decides, actually, no, because you, Damon, asked me and I don't particularly like you, I'm actually not going to bring Bonnie back from the dead. So good luck. (laughs) Um, So that doesn't work out as well. Once Bonnie becomes the anchor, 
Right. I can't remember exactly where he is, but I know that he's definitely still there because later on, <laughs> when she finds out what being the anchor means... In that episode, she finds out at the end, and then in the next episode, we see that Bonnie's been hiding it, actually. And then at some point when she and Jeremy are kissing, he compliments her new bob because she's got like that bob now all of a sudden. Yeah. And um, he's like, oh, cute hairstyle. And then they kiss and then an elderly woman approaches her and (laughs) she's like, sorry, I got to go somewhere. It comes out that like as the anchor, every supernatural being that dies goes through her and it's excruciatingly painful. What's wild about that scene is when it happens to her, she's then forced, like when it happens to her when she's with Jeremy, she's forced to tell him what's going on. And he's obviously understandably like horrified at knowing the mechanics of this. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. Like it's, it's worth it. Whatever it takes for me to be here with all of you guys is worth it. And she tries to carry on the physical <laughs> intimacy. And I'm like, girl, I kind of don't think he's in the mood anymore. <laughs> No, but don't they? I think they're at a hotel room when they do discuss this thing. They do then carry on, and I think it's their first time, Bonnie and Jeremy. Like years after they started dating and then stopped dating. Oh my and gosh, is that again. their first time? I think so. That's terrible. Oh no, that, <laughs> my my head cannon is gonna be is gonna be. They did it in that cabin in the woods. That yes, property cabin. While Shane was off, um, in between sessions, they were like, "We're alone. <laughs> We've got this cabin to ourselves." I I'm happy to take that because this is rough. After this, I'll be honest. There's not anything that happens with Jeremy that I feel compelled to discuss. It's a lot of. Enzo shows up and he's being an ass. Naturally, Jeremy gets kidnapped through that and harassed. Bonnie is also harassed. Jeremy is harassed as a ploy to force Bonnie's hand. It's a lot of that. After that, it's the traveler stuff. And again, it's like none of that has anything to do with Jeremy. Well, there's at least just a brief when Catherine is possessing Elena's body. Actually, no. I guess first we'd have to say when Catherine is on her deathbed. <laughs> right, And she's, right. like, dying of old age. I guess internal old age. Because on the outside, apart from that one grey streak, she looks fine. <laughs> but um, everyone is, like, playing this, like, drinking game where they're like, oh, we're going to sarcastically toast to Catherine and mention some way in which she screwed each of us over. Jeremy's is, she fed me to Silas and I died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, Wow. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Valid. And then when once Catherine has escaped death yet again by putting herself into Elena's body, she's like spending a lot of time with Jeremy because now she has to impersonate Elena, which she finds annoying. <laughs> and at some stage, Jeremy is yet again in danger. Catherine in Elena's body is like conspiring with Nadia, who knows exactly who she is. And she's like, oh, Jeremy's in danger. And she's at that point, she's just focused on getting Stefan back. <laughs> now she wants to get Stefan back as Elena. She's like, it's fine. I'll pretend to be Elena for the rest of my life. Which is like, Catherine, how far? are we gonna go with this how long could you possibly keep that going Catherine is like i will pretend to be somebody else until the end of time if it gets me back with this man oh my god like i understand it's stefan but she's she to stand, stand up. up he's great but no one's that great <laughs> she tells nadia she's like Oh, okay, so, you know, Stefan thinks I'm Elena and Jeremy's in danger. Do you think if Jeremy died, <laughs> Stefan would comfort Elena and I could, like, lead that into a romance? <laughs> Nadia tells her, are you insane? The real Elena would do everything in her power to save Jeremy. You oh, will give yourself God. away if you behave this way. Bless, Nadia was like, 
losing her mind trying to keep her mom in check. Bless her heart. <laughs> She's a better woman than I. Oh, that here's a cool thing that Jeremy does in the season. So the travelers are doing their purification spell, right? Travelers want to make Mystic Falls their home, and to do so, they need to purify it of spirit magic so that they can actually settle because they've been cursed by spirit witches. What this does to the main characters is that if you're a vampire, it undoes the magic of your vampirism and you return to being a dead body. For werewolves, I guess it would just reverse you to being untriggered werewolf. Yeah. For hybrids, same rules as a vampire. Since you've died, it reverses you to death. So naturally, everyone has to leave. Jeremy, however, despite being a supernatural character, there is no death consequence to him being affected by the purification spell. So they use him as like a dowsing rod to see how far the spell extends so they can mark the border around Mystic Falls. Ah, yes, I remember that. And then after that, again, because him and Matt are the mortals of the group, asterisk for Jeremy, they are the ones who go underground, cut some wires, start a gas leak. So that this is in their crazy plan to like kill the travelers that requires an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> they set the gas leak so that Damon can kill the travelers. I think at this point the travelers are trying to kill a bunch of them at once to overwhelm Bonnie as the anchor with their dead souls. So that while she's like overwhelmed, their leader Marcos will just walk back the opposite way. Which I think they do. And then... In this plan of theirs to kill the travelers, I think Damon and Elena drive their car into a building and explode. They do. Because at this point, the other side is like open, so they know they'll just die in an explosion and then just walk back in. That's where the metaphysics of the other side really go crazy. Getting insane. Elena and Damon drive their car into the building. It explodes. Their bodies are incinerated, which is obviously it's it's lethal to vampires. Right. But instead of like being burned to ashes, they're more like charred corpses, like what happened to Cole when he got staked. And so there's there's a moment where Elena, who is now in her other side vampire body, turns back and swipes the daylight ring off her original burnt corpse body <laughs> and puts it on because she's like, I'm gonna need this when I become corporeal again. <laughs> And I'm like, how does that work? So you take your clothes with you to the other side, but not your daylight ring? Okay. At the end of this, the other side goes away. We'll get into it in another episode. This is so not important. But the other side is going away. Stefan has not been able to make it back because Stefan, again, always sacrificing. For the first time in his life, Damon is the one to make the sacrifice play to get Stefan back to his living self. And so he is getting sucked away with the other side. Bonnie, as the anchor between the other side and the real world, has never really like come back to life. She's just had a foot in each world. So without the other side, she's getting sucked along right with it. That means Jeremy, who has already said goodbye to Bonnie in death, but has at least been able to see her, will now no longer be able to see her. This is a proper goodbye. He is not here for this. Jeremy's on the phone with Bonnie when she's getting pulled away. If I remember correctly, it was uh, Wings by Birdie that's like playing in oh, the God. background of <laughs> this scene. I remember this scene because like it, it was it was really sad. Like Jeremy's yeah, like running through the, the woods home. trying to find Bonnie before she poofs out of existence and he's like screaming. He's like, Bonnie! Uh, Bonnie! Like everyone has told Jeremy that like, it's, it's too late. There's nothing we can do. We can't save her. But that's not gonna Damon. stop Jeremy Gilbert, please. Not where Bonnie's concerned. Jeremy is like, this is gonna be my fourth girlfriend death like she, it's the same 
one twice. Unfortunately, he is not going to make it in time. They're on the phone. Bonnie's like saying good- her goodbyes. Jeremy's telling her not to hang up and he's screaming after her. And the oblivion, as they call it, takes Bonnie and Damon as the like climatic moment of season five emotional ending you mentioned that um they were using jeremy as a measuring rod for this like anti-spirit magic dome that they created i think how they how they explained it was jeremy was like i'll keep walking and at whatever point i start feeling like i deeply instinctively hate vampires again (laughs) we'll know that's where my hunter magic has come back yeah exactly which is wild i must be so weird to experience like personality shifts back and forth as you step <laughs> you step five foot away and suddenly you become filled with anger and hatred also speaking speaking of oblivion or i guess it wasn't oblivion at the time we didn't quite know but when Catherine is finally expunged from elena's body and she dies properly and goes <laughs> to hell when she gets to say her final goodbyes to everyone um she like she, she has like a little phrase for each of them to jeremy she says it was kind of nice to have a little brother there for a bit you know when you weren't being so damn annoying <laughs> and I was like, you know what coming from Catherine, that's, that's what as close to a compliment as you're gonna get season six is a rough go for jeremy again he doesn't do much story-wise he is again in a bad place almost like he was in fact maybe worse than he was in season one because bonnie is effectively dead the traveler's anti-magic spell still sits over the town so things are really weird like new people have taken over trip campbell is like running things he has this militia that he has who are like making sure that vampires on the border are like taken care of or whatever so he's living with matt matt who owns the lockwood mansion now tyler gave it to him before skipping town but he keeps bringing home random girls he's drinking a lot He's just wasting his time playing games. It's a lot of like, ooh, we're in a depression spiral right now, which fair enough. Elena's trying to get him out of a funk, trying to get Matt to like, I don't know, you need to like bring him back to something because listen, I'm struggling myself over here. So like we can't both be struggling. There's like a, a hot second where him and Monique are vibing. Monique is this character who ultimately doesn't matter, right? But she's this character <laughs> who shows up pretending to be Sarah Salvatore. She doesn't say anything about how she's related to the Salvatores, but she keeps saying she's looking for her dad. We might get into her in a Stefan episode if we're feeling generous. But she and Jeremy are vibing for a bit. Which, I mean, if I had her best interest at heart, I'd be like, girl, run away. Run away! Run away. This man is a death sentence for every woman who dates him. It's not his fault, but he's But he's just cursed. recognize the pattern. You don't want to be number four. When Elena is talking about how she wants her memories of Damon to be compelled away because she's not dealing either she doesn't want to remember damon oh um alaric is back he walked back through while the other side was falling away and he still retains all of his he's he's vampalaric but good vampalaric but good vampalaric he's still an enhanced original which means he as an original is able to compel vampires so she wants alaric to compel the memories of damon out of her jeremy uh it's not about this decision i i don't think to in any loyalty to damon i think just because it's a drastic choice and something you might regret at a later point um but yes it's a lot more of sort of jeremy spiraling drinking starting fights fooling around with girls a really sad thing that happens is every night he'll call bonnie's um landline at home because it has her recorded message on it and he just wants to hear her voice 
because he'll never be able to hear it again. And I thought that was very sweet when I first watched it and very tragic. It is quite, I've seen that with a few fictional characters now who have like a, a final voicemail saved. Yeah, they find out somehow that like Bonnie is still alive somewhere. I guess this is in the Kai era. But that, like, it's possible to get Bonnie and Damon back. Of course, Elena's not interested in Damon, but they're focused on getting Bonnie back. So <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy basically starts getting his shit together because there is hope, there is an opportunity. We'll get into the events of how that happens, but they manage to get Damon back. Yes. But Bonnie is not able to come through. And it's at that point that jeremy's kind of like i mean it's a final defeat at that point and elena decides listen man there's nothing left for you here you know i can visit you whenever i want i am a vampire after all but you've got to get out and live your life and find what it is you want to do and yeah you've just gotta get out of here and jeremy agrees i guess they can't compel him anymore, i, I was so. gonna say there's no way they're not living in mystic falls Uh, She can't live in Mystic Falls. It's not like they can compel him. And so they have one last day with all of them hanging out. They they compel (laughs) someone at the school to graduate Jeremy. So he officially has, I guess his GED because there's no way. I was going to ask, how did he get into art school when he did it, when he got expelled from his senior year? Either they compel someone to say, yeah, he was here for all of senior year, or they give him his GED, whichever. But he is going off to art school in Chicago. I always say Chicago. <laughs> where does he say I'm he's going? I'm not sure where. I'm just, I'm just thinking, look at Jeremy taking a spot in art school that somebody else earned. Because <laughs> of on his side. I think they specifically don't say where he's going so that it's it's easier for him to like stay safe or whatever wherever he steps up shop. But I say Chicago because even Armor Queen is leaving the show to go and work on Chicago Fire, the show he does after Vampire Diaries. Where Uncle Mason is the main character. Yeah! Reunion! The guy you helped uh, kill. Now you name? work for him. Uh, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Kinney. Kinney. Yeah, he was in uh, Trauma is where I first saw him, which is this show about EMTs from... 2009 2010 yeah they have a goodbye for jeremy he graduates he's headed off to art school but at the end there we see a scene between jeremy and alaric who's taking him to the airport instead he's driving him to a bus stop and he gives jeremy like a go bag like a duffel bag that's full of you know steaks Mm. crossbows vervain grenades all their usual stuff it becomes apparent that he is not in fact going to art school is going to become like a full-fledged vampire hunter. He is, after all, one of the five. Apparently, Alaric is going to be feeding him some leads, and Jeremy's going to spend his time hunting vampires. Spin-off series with Jeremy discovering his history as a member of the five. Listen! And he, can, he can take along everyone else who has nothing to do on that show, like Tyler. <laughs> right! Get all the, like, ancillary characters who are doing nothing in the present season and send them off to do something cool. For as much as, like, it's the three characters who maybe the audience won't necessarily follow, try a test pilot. See how it goes. You know? You've got a hunter who's a medium, a werewolf untriggered who's now untriggered right so you can keep that tension you've got matt with a with a gilbert ring right he can always come back from the dead this is like a good like you've got enough archetypes that you can work this i guess they had just done the original so they weren't they could have brought back april (laughs) 
Because Lord knows she disappeared when season five began. April Young, now aware of the supernatural, could be their oracle. She becomes their girl in the chair. She's looking up leads. Does she have a technological background? Who knows from the Vampire Diaries? But we can add that in because sure enough, we don't know shit about April Young. She could have been our first siren since we know her actress has a beautiful voice. (gasps) That would have been so much cooler. I'd love to see her sweet little April Young have to devolve into like the monstrous siren. Oh, You know, because we knew nothing about her mother. Her mother had already died before her dad did. It could be genealogical. Roads not taken. (laughs) In another life. Uh, Jeremy, after that, only comes back for the season six finale when Elena, for reasons again we'll explain in another episode, is going to go into a deep sleep for the rest of Barney's natural life. When is the scene when he and Elena smoke a blunt as their final goodbye? Is that this when is going the to one. quote unquote so she's, art school? She's already asleep, but through Damon's vampire mental powers, everyone's having a last goodbye with Elena. They bring everyone back for the finale. Tyler, who's been gone for however long, even though him and Elena aren't really tight like that, he comes to have a last goodbye. Bonnie, Caroline, and Jeremy, and Stefan have the last goodbye. And it's really sweet. Uh, I think Rick as well. And he tells her that if there's anything he wants her to know, it's that he spent his life doing what he felt was right. And he was happy. Because the understanding is that By the time Elena wakes up, Jeremy will either be old and grey or dead. With his luck, probably dead. Probably dead in his line of work. So they embrace and they give a final farewell and he heads off to continue his vampire hunting. He comes back one last time because, again, halfway through season six was essentially him gone from the show. He had gone to work on a different show. He ceased to be a main character. So this finale of season six was a special appearance as well as the finale of season eight when they do a flash forward of everyone at the ending of the show, they flash forward to Jeremy, who is teaching at the Salvatore boarding school for the young and gifted. Caroline, who is one of the like principals of the school, essentially hands Jeremy a crossbow. And the implication is that he's going to be raising a new generation of hunters. Which, at a, at a school that's going to have vampire students, is very interesting. <laughs> interesting decision, yeah, to be like, yeah, we're going to raise some hunters alongside our supernatural creatures. Also, having seen, like, maybe half of the first season of Legacies, that is not what happens. He shows up for one episode as a special guest as, like, a favor yeah. to Rick. He's very much not an instructor at the school, and there are no humans at the school either that should be raised he to d- be He deuced out when he realized there were no humans there. He was like, no, my first loyalty is to proper human beings. Yeah, I'm not about to raise these vampires to know how to dodge me and my hunters, please. Now, what he should have done is start the Gilbert Academy, the Gilbert Hunting Academy, in you response. Know, <laughs> take some of that doctor's money that Grace and Elena, because Elena's not using it, she's asleep. <laughs> she did. She, her flash forward was, was going to pursue a medical degree, like her father. Oh, so yeah, I guess she yeah, used yeah. the money. And that's really it for Jeremy. There's no huge conclusion, unfortunately. It really is just this, because two seasons before the show ends, he's gone. But, I mean, solid character while he was there. He had a good season-ish in season two as, like, the gopher for the group and as Barney's witchy assistant. And then a really good season in season four when he was going down the hunter path. 
that's probably where he shines the most. But still very, very integral to the first season where the show is finding its footing and the plot is fairly simple and straightforward. It's like, oh, you know, he's he's part of the plot to get, he doesn't know it, but he's part of the plot to open the tomb and Anna falls in love with him. He's the person Elena cares the most about at that point. And he's tied to this patrilineal ancestry with the Gilbert. So he's like the next in line after John. He's like little Hunter Jr. to Alaric. Like I said, he's a main character, but insofar as he is integral to other people's stories, right? And then little by little, he starts to get his own story sort of spinning out from that. That's relevant to the main plot. I love that he and Matt get very bromancy in season three because of the whole ghost arc. And then like that, that is maintained for the rest of their time as main characters on the show. Until exactly. In a, in a show that very often kind of picks up and drops like friendships or relationships as they please. I'm glad that they were like, yeah, the natural progression is for them to continue to be friends. And that Matt even even inherits Jeremy's ring once Jeremy can no longer use it. But even after his resurrection, it's it's nice. Also, Stephen Armour Queen and Zach Rorig have a lot of chemistry. I didn't notice it at the time, but watching it back. For this podcast, I was like, I was like, why do your scenes seem kind of flirty? <laughs> Listen, have we spoken about this? The scenes where they're trying to contact Vicky, it does seem like in the dialogue and their like looks to each other, it's like, oh, interesting. Again, in another life, roads not taken. In another life, like even like he even shows up. I think is it Matt who shows up at Jeremy's house with drinks, like apologetically after off he's like snapped at jeremy earlier because obviously bringing vicky up constantly is painful for him and then he's like oh i'm sorry that i got so mad let's crack crack open a cold one i'm like this could have been fun jeremy had um an interesting thing as well with tyler maybe not as much chemistry between the actors but i've read many a fanfic um that pulled on the enemies to lovers Yes, enemies to lovers, mainly based on their season one dynamic where they are rivals for Vicky's affection initially. Yeah. And then because in season two, prior to Caroline getting involved, it's Jeremy who's helping Tyler with his suspicions about his family. And they briefly bond over the, oh, you're also an artist. I draw too. That's nice. That's cool. And it's, <laughs> it's yeah, always very it's much like, this thing well, of like, damn, maybe this wasn't about Vicky at all. Maybe it was about us. And you know, you're the jock like, kid it's, it's, and I'm it's, the it's emo kid. You. Tyler is like the angry jock but doesn't want to admit that he does something as soft and sensitive as drawing. As drawing. And Jeremy is like, I'm the emo loner kid who you don't want to be seen with, but there's something between us. <laughs> I mean, listen, credit to, as you know, I listen to a podcast called Cerebro and they talk about X-Men comics. Credit to Connor, the host of that podcast, who brought up that the love triangle with Scott Summers, Logan slash Wolverine and Jean Grey. Very often when Scott and Wolverine are at each other's throats, you sort of go... Maybe this is less about Jean Grey herself and the two of you have something you need to work out. And in present day comics, it's been not explicitly said, but it's implied by like data pages in the comics and stuff. And it's now understood that the three of them kind of have this open thing going and it goes all ways. So, you know, when it comes to love triangles, sometimes you've got to examine and be like, okay, boys, what are we working with here? That's my favorite way to solve a love triangle. I'm just like, just date each other, all of you. Like, all of as, you long, as long now. as it's not like siblings like Damon and Stefan, obviously yeah. that wouldn't work. But it's like <laughs> Bella, Edward and Jacob, 
Suki, Eric, and Bill just oh, all of it, especially because a lot of these vampires are bisexual anyway. They're so all bi. Well. They're all bi and they're all hot. And it's like there's such a simple solution to this, guys. So Matt and Jeremy, hey, possible he could have been the Bonnie that he needed. The I'm your sister's age mate, but suddenly you're really hot, you know. And you know we're both chill dudes and we like the same you know, stuff. He went for the other Donovan. <laughs> He's got a type. He loves those Donovans. There's something in their uh, backwater. <laughs> and Steve McQueen, he's also an activist. Uh, I forget what of specifically, but I think he's doing a lot of humanitarian aid. There's a lot of water stuff that he's doing. So that's really cool. He dated Candace Ackler while they were on the show together. Really? I did not know that. Candace, Candace King, who plays Caroline. I was. I, did not I only know found this out like last month. I just, it's, it's also funny that his surname is McQueen and she ended up marrying Candace someone whose surname King. was King. Oh, that's actually really funny. That's all on Jeremy Gilbert. But if you have any thoughts or questions on this character or any character, any of our episodes, you can mail them to us at animalattackpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at animalattackpod. That's at A-N-I-M attack pod. Are they still called tweets? I refuse to to call it X. I will (laughs) not be calling it that nonsense. You will be tweeting us. Thank you on Twitter. And in the bio on our Twitter account, you will find a link tree that has all of our online stuff. There's a TikTok. It shows all our promo clips. Um, You'll also see them on our Twitter account. They're really fun to see them cut together have a look have a fun time with it that's all from us thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one cheers bye